and good evening, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Primetime Gaming with Mr. Boomstick and Friends. And ladies and gentlemen, yes, that's what we have done. We have loaded up the friendship bus and we are here. And man, talk about having to call an audible at the last second. Phil Spencer out here dropping virtual bombs on the industry. And of course, we have uh, Tom Warren uh, out there doing what he does best, and that is putting out great tweets with all of the information. And folks, not only are we going to be talking about what Phil Spencer had to say, and even the fact that, wow, maybe Game Pass might be raising in price. And you know what? I have no problem with that simply because of the value proposition of what we're currently playing. You can't argue that uh, a price increase was not expected. I would imagine that as long as it's not gross and uh, you know not com- uh, consumer friendly, that it w- I wouldn't have a problem with it. I would imagine that like Hulu and Netflix and Disney Plus and all of the other services that we all pay for, they have gone up. I mean, even YouTube uh, Premium has gone up, especially the Family Plan, and it didn't go up by a dollar. It went up by five dollars, to be honest with you. And me and Mrs. Boomstick share that and. You know, sometimes if you, you know, you can walk away from the service, but I don't like commercials. So that's why I pay for the premium. Um, But that's not the only thing we're going to be talking about. We are very, very privileged to have Luke Steele, who is, um, you know, someone that has not only gone up against the CMA, but he is an acquisitions lawyer and he has been on this show before. He has a great amount of insight uh, to what has been going on with ABK. Uh, we have some questions uh, that we're going to be, uh, uh, you know, really getting into. And uh, we got some information on a literally a land shark that Microsoft is bringing in tow to go up against the CMA. Um, and we're going to be talking about what she brings to the table and what she has fought against and uh, I'll be bringing, you know, give you her name once we get to that story. But let's welcome in Luke Steele. Luke, how the heck are you, brother? Welcome back. Yeah, thank you very much. It's uh, it's not been too long, actually, since I was uh, I was here. So, uh, and yeah, the, the CMA, as Dutch said, pre-show, the, the CMA bat signal goes up and then I can kind of jet in Arkham style. So, uh, yeah, it's really good <laughs> to be here. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to these topics, some really good ones. Yeah, you know what? And uh, listen, we're glad to have you here. We do have some questions. We're going to have you breaking down, uh, and just, 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 you know, let the cat out of the bag. The woman that I'm talking about, uh, and I want to give her name properly. Uh, she is an antitrust attorney. Her name is Rima Aleli, and her main job is to help close mergers at one of the most uh, busy uh, or acquisitive companies, Microsoft, and. Uh, you know, she she helped block a deal for the industry that actually shocked me. I, I didn't know so much about this. Uh, she was her and her team were responsible for blocking the NVIDIA arms chip a deal. Uh, that was that was her and her team that did that. So I got a lot of people that were asking, oh, man, she helped block the deal. Is she is she really someone that you want? trying to win the deal for Microsoft? The answer is yes, you absolutely do because she is, uh, like I said, she's not known by a lot of circles, but I can tell you right now, people that I spoke to, she is legit awesome. And I think that uh, with her knowledge and her know-how and her team's know-how, 
I think that this deal gets passed with little to no concessions. Uh, but we're going to get into that momentarily. Let's continue with the introductions. Wandering Dutch, brother, welcome back. Best beard in the business. How the heck are you? Yeah, I'm good, yeah. It's uh, great to be back as usual, of course, on the back of my podcast. A little bit of chill time and then straight on this one, so it's uh, it's always good. I'm looking forward to jumping into this. Uh, you, like I say, you've got the right person for the for the job this week, of course, with Luke. <laughs> and his specified role, he's got experience with this type of stuff, so it's uh, you're going to get the best... Uh, the best um, proper responses to to these things, and not just, uh, of course, uh, the wonderful Everborn's inquisitive and wild mind that goes on with some of his <laughs> some of his speculations. His theories uh, are quite yeah. off the wall, which oh, yeah. Kiasante knows all too well. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure I don't know what you're talking know. about. No, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but listen, it's great to have you, Dutch, and uh, great great job you and Boxenberg. Uh, uh, for uh, your sit-down interview with the developers from Deliver Us the Moon. Uh, that was a game that came out a couple of years ago. Absolutely fantastic. They have uh, Deliver Us, I believe it's Deliver Us Mars is the, is the yeah. next one. Uh, and right. it's phenomenal, coming out early next year. Uh, what surprised me about that, Boom, is they, they are actually based where I grew up. And I didn't even realize they're in my town. A specific town in the Netherlands, which is a pretty small place. It's not the biggest Holy of cow. towns. <laughs> I know that really. That's crazy. So, it goes to show you that it is, in fact, a small world after all. Uh, they've, offered, they've offered to go around and see the studio when I'm next there. So that's awesome. <sighs> from dude, them. that's awesome. I would definitely make make sure you tape that for sure. Um, but uh, Crispy Bomb, you're going to have a few things to say. What's going on, brother? How you feeling? Oh, feeling great. What up, chat? Uh, Luke, good to have you on. And uh, let's get it all. Yeah. Oh, yes. We, we're definitely going to get it on. And of course, I like the Omaha, Omaha, because you know what? That mofo has hurt the Steelers so many times with his <laughs> Omahas. I know exactly what you were talking about because I'm a diehard Steeler fan and we suck this year. But anyway, uh, well, let's welcome in the mag. How you doing, yes, brother? Sir. Life has grabbed you by the balls. Real life, <laughs> I haven't had much time to make That's any correct. shenanigans videos or even play games for that matter. Mm -hmm. I'm glad to have you here. How you doing? Oh, man, I, it's an absolute pleasure to be able to take a break from real uh, from the real world and dealing with the corporate clowns and everything else. God God willing that they're not listening to me say things like that. But anyhow, um, it's an absolute pleasure. Yes, I haven't been doing many videos, but you know what? I will be getting back into it, hopefully, in the, the beginning of next week. I'm only about halfway through the, the COD camp, uh, uh, Modern Warfare 2 campaign. Absolutely wonderful. Uh, I think it's wonderful anyway. I know there's a lot of, uh, you know, sort well, of... Well, with uh, IGN, I mean, they gave it a 6 out of 10 because they thought it was the biggest piece of crap uh, this well, you know, in the, years. But, you know. Yeah, exactly. You know, the narrative is Microsoft ruins everything and they've already ruined it, even though have, they haven't even inquired, uh, acquired it yet. But, you know, that's how it goes. Anyhow, we got some great things to talk about. We got Luke Skywalker's here tonight. He has actually got, you know what? Like I said, everybody said, the man's a lawyer. You can't argue with him. And if you try, you're probably going to lose the case. Anyways, <laughs> we got a great show for you guys tonight. Let's get right into it. Nice. And last and no way least, actually, usually the first one here, last one today, Kayasante. What's going on, brother? How you feeling? Yeah, I, I understand what you mean, Mag, when you say corporate shenanigans. I've been dealing <sighs> with crap all day today, so it's, it, it is what it is. But I'm, I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to be here. I'm surprised my, my other half is not here uh, excited because he, he enjoys <laughs> uh, debating with lawyers, so it, it, it will be interesting. But no, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be here. I hear the stories are very interesting this week, so I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to go. Now, 
Now, Dutch, I did see your 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 interview this this uh it was this morning, wasn't it, or this afternoon? I I, I caught it later after the yesterday. Fact. Actually, it was yesterday. Yeah, it was yesterday. Okay, uh, so I watched it today. My question is: Is Gorilla next? Because I, I know where they are in Utrecht. I've actually been there. So if, if, yeah. if Gorilla's next, I, I'm there right. for you. I'll, I'll hold your camera. It's all good. Let's we go. shall see. We shall see. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, listen, ladies and gentlemen. Let, let's let's open up uh, with uh, the uh, the reason why we brought Luke in uh, his, his expertise. Now, Luke, uh, the 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 story that I pulled is from uh, theinformation.com. It was written by Aaron Holmes. Uh, it was posted on October twenty first, uh, and basically the lead uh, article uh, line is how a Microsoft antitrust attorney keeps its mega acquisitions from getting killed. And it also uh, goes on to say antitrust regulators have mostly spooked big tech companies away from doing big acquisitions. But Microsoft is getting bolder in its deal making, such as its $69 billion bid for Activision, Blizzard and King. And a low profile Microsoft attorney, Rima Aleli, is working to keep it that way. And uh, she uh, she is, uh, according to the story. Aleli is helping fend off similar efforts to sink one of the largest acquisitions in tech history. And of course, we're talking about the $69 billion takeover of video game publisher Activision, Blizzard, and King, which faces investigations from the British and European regulators and, of course, the FTC, as well as opposition from Microsoft, uh, specifically their rival in Sony. Sony seems to be the only one that actually has a problem with this deal. And you know, again, we're not we're not going to go down a deep rabbit hole, uh, you know, specifically about why Sony is crying the way they are. They they've been in first place for twenty plus years. Uh, they don't like playing fair. They have played dirty uh, their entire uh, PlayStation life, uh, and we've seen it uh, even get any, even more filthy uh, with some of the deals that they have done to keep games specifically off of Xbox, but more importantly, out. Of Xbox Game Pass, uh, their dirty tactics are front and center. Uh, their uh, their discontent uh, for any kind of uh, of challenge to their first place uh, position is met with uh, things that you know we see more often than not for PlayStation. Right, we've seen how they have um, you know crossplay uh, fees for developers and publishers so that only games can be played via PlayStation. And if you do want to have cross-play, you have to pay this, uh, according to um, uh, Everborn Saga, he calls it the A-hole tax. Uh, we've seen things like uh, monies being given to developers and publishers to keep games off of Xbox Game Pass. Uh, they, uh, they, block, uh, they block Game Pass uh, additions through their contract-making and they've done many, many anti-consumer things to keep games away from Xbox gamers. Whereas, as we've seen, Microsoft has had it a different way, and they have, and they intend to do a different way. And we're going to be talking about what Phil Spencer said in a monster interview, specifically about Game Pass potentially raising in price, but also Call of Duty being treated like Minecraft. That's going to be the second half of the show. But Luke, I want to go to the really the first question here. Um, today, uh, Everborn Saga, who's not here yet, uh, hopefully he will get here. Uh, the CMA put out a tweet where they uh, announced they approved the London Stock Exchange Group slash Quantile merger. 
review. They they passed it, no no issues. Um, again, the CMA normally doesn't do this. I thought it was a little weird the way that their social media presence has exploded on the scene, especially when they first uh, started talking about their phase one and how they were concerned about Sony's position in the market and where that would be after this deal, which seemed a little weird to me, especially with that they were using block emojis and things that a 19-year-old would use, not a, a mega uh, you know, corporation that's funded by the government or a, a, an arm of the government. But Everborn's question was simply this, Luke. Please get Luke's thoughts on Microsoft's response to the CMA and see if he sees any parallels to the London Stock Exchange Group quantile merger. What, 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 what's your answer for that? Oh, it's, that's a it's a big it's a question. Um, I mean, in terms of are there any similarities? I suppose between the deal that the CMA announced was passing through today and and the Microsoft one. Um, so for for context, um, ignoring the actual details of of what this merger was with the London Stock Exchange and Quantile, but. For context, this was a merger that, um, like the Microsoft Activision one, um, had been analyzed at phase one by the CMA, um, and the CMA had found that there was a, a realistic prospect of a substantial lessening of competition, which is the test that they apply at phase one. Um, uh, and so there's, you know, the same thing happened in this um, deal as well. Um, there was then a period of CMA analysis in phase two, and then today, um, they actually announced that they uh, had passed it. Uh, the CMA were, were letting it go, uh, essentially, uh, with no um, remedies requested. Um, they found that on the balance of probabilities, um, it was unlikely that there would be a substantial lessening of competition. Now, that's pretty much, I guess, where the similarities end, because it's really difficult to compare and, and almost pointless comparing um, one, you know, competition case with a regulator to another because they operate in okay. such entirely distinct markets that it's impossible to, to draw any parallels apart from the fact that they go through similar, similar processes, right? Um, the one similarity here, I guess, was that the CMA were looking at um, uh, vertical integration problems, which is one of the limbs of um, inspection that they have on the, the Microsoft Activision one as well. So when they talk about um, Call of Duty and input foreclosure and, you know, limiting Microsoft limiting Activision's um, content from other platforms and stuff like that, that's a vertical analysis where you've got kind of two entities in a supply chain. So Microsoft as a uh, I suppose a publisher in this instance, and then Activision as a as a developer, um, even though Activision are also a publisher. But anyway, that's how the CMA are looking at it. Um, so the London Stock Exchange case also had vertical considerations, but again, this was in a I think this was in a, a derivatives market. You know, it was something just entirely different. So it's impossible really to to draw any parallels with it. But um, it does show, I think one thing that is helpful for people perhaps is that it does show that, you know, phase two is not necessarily something to be, you know, really concerned about if you want the deal to, to progress. Um, the CMA do, uh, you know, take stuff to phase two. The phase two test is, is a lot higher. Um, 
some you know substantial lessening of competition has to be likely as a result of the merger not just a prospect of it right so um this case i guess is a reminder that um they do look at this stuff in a in a slightly different way in phase two and obviously the the test they have to meet is higher and not, and sometimes that can mean that um you know they they don't have any reasonable ground to to block it you know or to ask for remedies or anything like that so um so it's useful in that sense but not really in terms of similarities with with microsoft activision now just i i just want to clear something up for a lot of people that may may not understand because i had to ask luke myself in, in backstage uh when he says remedies what he's referring to is what here in the states is considered concessions yeah. concessions as you know are things that the ftc could potentially ask for microsoft to agree in you know in order to pass the deal uh, and and that's what he that's exactly what what remedies means in the EU in the UK. So that's that. I mean, I, I appreciate you know that you know that you being honest. There's 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 some similarities, but there isn't a one to one here. So my my next question to you, and then after I'm done with this question, everyone on the panel, please by all means, if you have something you want to ask Luke specifically regarding this deal, please do not hesitate um, to, to to ask that. But um, you know, Everborn wanted me to also uh, discuss the, the Microsoft's response. Micro, you know, obviously when the CMA came out for like the third time and they put up all of these these things that they were concerned with, Microsoft immediately came back with counteroffensive points, and a lot of their points seem to. Again, I'm not doing this from a fan points point of view. I'm doing it from a from a logistic point of view. It seemed to have crushed. A lot of the CMA's, uh, uh, you know, uh, concerns moving this into phase two. I'm just curious to get your opinion on because uh, there were a lot of people in the community that were a little shocked with how, how can I say it, aggressive Microsoft was in their response uh, to the CMA's issues with, you know, what you were saying earlier about potential uh, footholds for, you know, competition. What, what what were your personal thoughts like a, as an attorney and as a gamer uh, on both sides of your brain? How 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 aggressive was this response from Microsoft? Uh, yeah, I, I think it's an interesting question. Um, you know, I think I can see what people mean about aggression, but the it, it's interesting the the regulatory process like the competition process when you're working with a regulator i think a lot of people think that they look at it and go well it must be adversarial in nature like it must be as if you're kind of battling against the regulator and i guess in a sense you kind of are if the regulator you know takes a different view of a merger than you do because obviously you know you're going to want to paint a merger in a certain light because you want it to go through right but a regulator might have a, a different view but actually in practice it's it's very collaborative so there's you know it's, it's very cordial and um microsoft response may look aggressive but it's it's kind of standard language for this okay. sort of stuff so um you know what they're trying to do and and it wasn't uh, it was microsoft's response but it was written by i think uh vile gotshell who are a a very big law firm um you know the the aim of that statement is to just 
kind of counteract every theory of harm that the CMA raised in in phase one. Now, in essence, it it's a bit it's it's a bit of a waste of time. Like it's not a waste of time for the reason I'll get into in a minute. But <laughs> it, it it's like um it, it's a thing you do in the process, right? After the CMA um give their phase one decision, if they're taking it to a phase two, that is, then you know, as the merging party, you write a response to it because the CMA will publish that. And, you know, that may influence the views of, of other people, you know, of the public or third parties who, you know, might come across and read it. It's it's part of that kind of transparency um, procedure, really. So, um, and I mean, I, I read it, you know, and I think for the most part, their arguments are very sound. Like I didn't read anything that was ridiculous. Um, some, you know, understatement and overstatement here and there, but that's to be expected because, you know, they they're gonna paint stuff in a in a light that's favorable to them. Uh, but I, I thought it was you know uh, rational and um, logical, um, and um, a good kind of um, bat back to the CMA really, which takes it on to phase two. Um, and I think you know it it it, it was definitely. Like I say, it wasn't aggressive, but they really wanted to try and very clearly delineate the CMA's claims and try and show how they were incorrect as factually as possible as you can do in that document. Because bearing in mind, they they know that that document's made public, right? So you can't, it's not as if you can go into super amounts of detail concerning information that might be relevant. And you'll, if anybody's seen the document, you'll see it has all these snips in it at various points, which is simply redacted information because they don't want that to be public. Right. Um, so uh, so it, it was a good response. I think the thing that people perhaps miss with this stuff is that, again, this isn't adversary. It's not like, a, like Microsoft aren't if arguing against a jury, right? You know, the right. CMA, a judge, jury, and executioner in this. So obviously, if they were putting out this document to a bunch of like jurors, for example, it might be very persuasive in convincing jurors, you know, that um, this merger should go through. But really, it's against the CMA and the CMA, you know, may well disagree with it. And as I say, CMA are judge, jury and executioner. So what they think is the ultimate arbiter of this, right? Like that's that's the ultimate decider. Um, but it may focus the panel for phase two of the CMA in such a way that they're more favorable now towards the idea of the merger because of this response and because of the discussions they've had with Microsoft, et cetera. So, you know, it's kind of a, this little psychological, you know, meta battle almost, you know, to try and convince, uh, you know, the CMA panel that the phase one inquiry was fine. Okay. We accept that, but going into phase two, we don't think any of this is likely to cause competition concerns. And, and here's a very brief summary of why. That's what the response was. So a good summary, but it's it's not as if that's the nail in the coffin of the CMA. You know, it, it isn't. It's just something that they'll look at. Right now, now I want to bring Kaysante into the question uh, into the conversation because Kaysante, there was a specific wording that was used by Everborn Saga when you and him sat down with Jez Corden over the weekend on your absolutely astounding new episode of the Gaming Circle podcast. If you missed that, that was last Saturday. You definitely got to check that out. There was a specific wording that was used in regards to 
uh, evidence being used uh, uh, for Microsoft. Please, please elaborate that with Luke because I I don't remember the terminology. Sure, sure, no no worries at all. And 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 I also have a question I want to ask Luke as well. The the term you're looking for was we were we were batting back and forth the idea of qualitative versus quantitative analysis that was being done, uh, and and at a high level basically. Uh, analysis being done based on raw data and facts where the the facts lead you versus uh if i'm if i'm not mistaken please correct me if i'm wrong luke here versus the alternative which would be uh, uh fact finding to to uh, uh to fill in gaps uh, where you assume that their gaps would be even though the, the 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 facts would then obviously lead to that destination right it's almost mm -hmm. a foregone conclusion i, I know this is this yeah. now i'm going to find the details to fill in those gaps that is qualitative versus quantitative and we were and and they specifically made mention of 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 doing a a a qualitative ana analysis of the of the the situation uh via vis-a-vis -vis the the um market uh, market conditions which we thought was very very unusual being that market conditions by its very nature is a quantitative kind of exercise right you you have your dollars and cents you see where things are going why would that not be your first port of call why would it be would it be quantitative uh, 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 versus qualitative you, you understand what i'm saying yep yep yeah 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 i think um it's it's an interesting point um i can see why microsoft raised it um i actually thought it was one of the weakest points that they put through in the document um and i'll explain the rationale for that now which is they're absolutely right that um in any in most of the circumstances the analysis that you undertake um in anything right is, is qualitative it's based on hard factual data especially market conditions but um competition regulators can't just do that because they're not looking at the they're not only looking at the state of the market now they have to hypothesize about what would happen under the merger and nobody knows that right it's more quantitative in nature we can you know use theory and theorem and try and predict and use values to try and predict where the market will go but we can't you know we we don't have any factual data. There's nothing that says, you know, that says on paper, well, five years into the future, if you let this go mm -hmm. through, this will happen. Yeah. Um, and it's, so it's a difficult job that regulators have as a result, competition regulators. And I, I see this criticism levied sometimes of them. It's like, oh yeah, well, they're looking too much about what will happen. Well, yeah, that's their job. Like that's the whole point. Um, otherwise, why would you have this process? So um, obviously the, the a competition regulator has to walk a fine line with it. Like they can't just espouse some notion that's in the future so unrealistic, um, you know, based on some quantitative quantitative analysis that's so ridiculous, right? They can't just do that. They have to mm -hmm. put that in writing. They have to explain their rationale. I'm sure yeah. the CMA have done that in the background. Obviously, we're not going to be privy to that um, because it's quite confidential uh, methods of assessment, et cetera, using actual data. Mm -hmm. um, but um, yeah, I didn't find that argument from Microsoft particularly compelling. Oh, I know okay. why they raised it, though. Um, yeah, yeah I, I completely understand why they raised it. If I was in that position, I would have raised it as well because I think, okay. obviously, the CMA, when they're looking at theories of harm in particular, they're they're kind of, you know, they said in the in the response, right, some of these were novel um, to, to Microsoft. And some of them 
our novel. Um, now the CMA can can do that when they think about a theory of harm. They can, you know, it doesn't have to be like some set down precedent. Again, this isn't a adversarial court case, right? There's no stare decisis. There's no like precedent uh, that applies to the CMA. They can just come up with this stuff, provided they have some basis in it. But I thought that was a pretty good argument as well from Microsoft, uh, probably better than the quantitative versus qualitative. So I uh, understood, I understood. Uh, one, and to your point of, of uh, it being basically a back and forth and a collaborative uh, effort, that, that's actually, that dovetails well into a question I wanted to ask you. I've always actually wanted to know from someone with your, your experience level, um, I've actually, uh, um, as these things go, we've, we've all been paying such close attention to people like Hoag Law and all that, who he, even he himself admittedly says he has a, a more of a grasp of the American system than he does the the uk system and and he's been doing some some research in that in that field uh we uh we were speaking um um when you when you were talking about ultimately when the decision is made you're saying the cma is a judge jury and executioner uh on the in the on on the american side the the ftc's version of it if you will the ftc you get things like oh well if if they 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 want to challenge the merger you can you can sue for 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 various options and, and present your case and hope, hopefully it gets overturned. Uh, yeah. I've heard some, I've heard disparate, uh, uh, differing reports of it. Some say there are options available. Others say, well, once the, uh, the cat can, can, can argue with how they came to the process or if there was a, an issue with process, but once they've come to their conclusion, there is no uh, question about it. What, what's your, what's your, how does it, how does it that square for you? Can are there options to be made once the final decision is made, or are your only options how they came to that decision? Yeah, no, it's it's a good question. Um, the so the options depend on what what the CMA wants first of all. So presuming it it took it, it you know after a phase two analysis, it said um, we don't like this, uh, so we want X, Y, and Z. Right, we want some remedies, some concessions um if if they did that and you know you're in a microsoft are in a position where they don't like any of what's suggested and they negotiate because there is a period of negotiation as well right so they can try and talk the cma down from some of this if they wanted to um but let's say that that breaks down for whatever reason and the cma just go nope this is our line in the sand so the the process is then it's it's basically as you described it's it's different from the US process because the CMA is um a non-governmental ministerial body which in the UK means it can only be challenged on certain grounds vis-a-vis its decisions so you can go to the competition appeals tribunal um and you can challenge the CMA kind of on three grounds, basically. One is illegality, so they've done something illegal. Um, one is irrationality. That's a ridiculously high threshold. Nobody has ever done it. Nobody has ever attempted to do it. Um, they will not try and do it in this case, so I'm almost hesitant to mention it, but it does exist. And the third one is basically some procedural error, um, effectively. So the CMA have done something in the scope of their power, but they've done it incorrectly, right? They've applied something incorrectly. Um, so you're right in that you can't you can't go to the tribunal and and um, uh, challenge the CMA because you don't like the outcome of 
um, their assessment, you can only say, we don't like the way you've arrived at the assessment because of these reasons, right? So the most recent example of that was the, uh, the meta Giphy challenge, which is a, you know, a good example of what might happen if Microsoft were inclined to go down that route. Um, and then because of the way UK law works and because of the nature of the, the challenge, all the competition appeals tribunal can do is if they agreed with Microsoft, let's say they said, yeah, the CMA have committed a bunch of procedure errors. We don't like this. They revert it back to the CMA to re to basically goes, goes do the things from, that they should have done. Back to scratch from j back j to jump scratch. and all yeah. of it starts again. Yep. I, I recall yeah. reading that. Well, just back to, back to the start kind of a phase two, basically. Oh, phase so two. That, okay. that okay. phase. Mm -hmm. So then the CMA obviously will, will do the things that they should have done. Um, if they, uh, if they come to the same, let's say they do it, right? They do it lock stop and they come to the same conclusion, which is exactly the thing that happened in, in Meta Giphy. They just said, yeah, we've, we've, you know, taken a look at that cat. Thank you very much. Um, but we don't think it affects our judgment at all. Um, then there is one further thing you can do is you can appeal to cat to take it to um the court of appeal in the uk which is a broad civil court but again you can only take it on exactly the same basis that cat have analyzed it so illegality irrationality procedural impropriety let's say and you even have to get permission from cat to do that um or you can sometimes try and subvert them and go directly to the court of appeal it's really 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 hard to get to that that stage because most of the time cat will say there's absolutely no point you going to the court of appeal because you're basically wasting their time like we've looked at it we think this the cma have looked at it again they think this there is no chance you'll succeed um and again even if you go to the court of appeal what court of appeal do they send it back to the CMA. So even if they agreed. Um, so the only things you ever see go that far are things like if the CMA imposes like a penalty fine for something and the parties are like adamant that's a unreasonable fine because there's a specific ground you can challenge them on that basis. So that's kind of the the broad procedure. I know it's pretty boring, but hopefully helps. No, no, not no, at it's, all. It's, it's, it's there's many very people, informative. Yeah, yeah there's a lot of people in yeah, here that, that are digging well, because a I, lot of the stuff I didn't know. Mm -hmm. I, I learned something yeah, I, today. That is awesome. Well, that's why I'm that's why I'm very quiet for once in a lifetime. I do have two things I wanted to ask you, Luke. And uh, the, the first thing I wanted to ask is, I, I understand you were saying the different avenues that they can go down if they have differing opinions at the end of this. Now, the thing is, can they go now? Do you think that Microsoft maybe I know you said they probably won't, but is there a possibility that they could push? further down for further appeal because it's such a huge deal probably what probably the biggest deal in tech history never mind video games we're just talking about in tech in general 70 billion dollars would they be willing do you th i mean i know you say they may not but i mean i is there a yeah. possibility that they would go to the end of the line of appeal just because of such a huge deal oh yeah i mean i think i mean look um you're absolutely right. Like this is a, a huge, huge merger for them. Uh, as you say, it's probably the biggest in, in tech history, or it is the biggest in tech history, essentially. Yes, it is. Yeah. Um, by value. So, 
and look, Microsoft have extremely deep pockets to really want to litigate the crap out of this if if they, yeah. you know, if they if they're that way inclined. Mm. I think the and and I think you know the only issue is, is because of the way that the UK system works, they would be less inclined to do it if they didn't think that something the CMA had done under those free grounds that I mentioned was was mm-hmm. so fundamental to their decision that they actually used it and arrived at the wrong decision as a result. You know, with the FTC, it's much easier to go and actually have a huge battle, right, mm-hmm. and throw lawyers at ridiculous charge-out <laughs> right. rates at it. Like, it's it's very easy for them to do that. A mm-hmm. um, little more difficult in the UK and also the EU, which is similar-ish, um, procedure as well but absolutely i mean if they got to that stage i don't think it will get to that stage but if it got to that stage they might think you know what like it's too valuable a deal just let slip that's what i'm thinking yeah you know we're willing to spend half a million on lawyer fees just oh that's all this yeah which is nothing to microsoft a dime in the bucket for them um i do have a second question i think this is something that's probably reflecting a lot of people not only in the chat but a lot of people in the community wondering and i know i'm one of them what is the overall global impact of the CMA, like, let's say, for example, it doesn't go in 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 a favorable direction for Microsoft. Yeah. How does this affect the deal in its entirety overall, like globally? Like, I mean, does it, if the CMA doesn't, you know, if they if they have, um, uh, like, if they, if they if they just basically shut it down in one way or another, or yeah. they ask for different stipulations or so, so on and so forth, and all of a sudden, that, how does that affect the entire? You know what I mean? The deal overall yeah, globally. Yeah. yeah. No. No. Yeah. 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 It's a, it's a, it's a good question. I think it's a question that. Um, um, some people, uh, there are lots of different answers to this, but there are actually only a few correct ones. So I'll try and explain. Them. Can I have um, them? Because I've so, heard yeah, so many can. different stories, right? It's like people say the CMA means nothing. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, still yeah. going to go through. And I'm like, well, I don't, that doesn't make any sense. But yes, please carry on. Yeah. So the, there are, uh, there's kind of one answer. And then if that's not the case, there's like another answer, basically. So I think what people may, about the deal and and i get that people miss this because they would never have have done it but in um merger agreements right you have you have a split between when you sign the agreement and then when it completes when it consummates you know when microsoft actually own activision in this case so they already signed the deal back in january right and Mm -hmm. then the merger agreement has a bunch of conditions and the conditions have to be satisfied before they can actually say, right, okay, we're done, right? Activision, you're part of Microsoft now. And a lot of those conditions are, you know, commercial in nature. Um, They might, you know, a lot are also legal. They're kind of legal procedure, mumbo jumbo stuff, which I won't go into detail on. But one of the main ones, and you can see this um, because in the SEC filings that um, Activision Blizzard made when they had to get the shareholder approval for this deal, they talked about the merger agreement in broad terms. Obviously, they didn't show it because it's confidential, but they said, you know, these are a bunch of things that we have to do under the merger agreement. One of the conditions specifically was um, that they needed the regulatory approval of the CMA the EU Commission and the FTC slash DOJ alongside any other relevant competition authorities, right? So they named those three specifically. And that's, you know, in my experience, like I see that on big acquisitions, you see that condition all the time, right? It's very common, pretty So what what constitutes uh, um, 
uh, relevant. Like, for example, like they just said, you know, we, we talked about it, what, two weeks ago on this very show, we were talking about yeah, the, yeah. Uh, Brazil, we were and then all of a sudden Saudi Arabia. Like, yeah. are they part of the conversation or, or like yeah. of what would be considered relevant on a global scale for the for the deal? It's basically any any competition authority where you have to notify them because okay. of this. this okay. Now, yeah. te technically speaking, actually, you don't have to notify the CMA. It's a voluntary procedure, um, which is going to sound really weird. Um, but the if you look at the Meta Giphy case, um, the problem is that the CMA can retrospectively look at your deal. So they can say you should have notified us because it fell into the you know the UK law on this. Nice. So actually now we're going to look at it and analyze it and do our phase one, phase two. And the problem with Facebook and Meta, uh, sorry Meta and Giphy, is that mm -hmm. they just didn't notify the CMA. They acquired, completed the deal, it was done, and then the CMA went, oh, you know what? Actually, we really don't like this at all. So they they had a, a big problem. But anyway, I'm <laughs> digressing slightly. Um, so so the, the Microsoft and Activision did the right thing here, which is to say they they're like we're not completing anything until we have regulatory approval. Now this is relevant because if you can't fulfill a condition you're effectively in breach of contract. And in fact, some conditions are so fundamental to a contract that, that if you don't fulfill them, you can't, you can't complete the deal. A regulatory competition condition like this, and I think they mention this in the merger agreement, they say it, it may, if it's not fulfilled, it may just stop the deal, right? Hmm. So what I mean by that is if the CMA go no, you know, we're not giving you any approval at all, worst case scenario, right. that would probably on its own be enough to tank the deal entirely worldwide. It would just end it. Um, you had this with, um, I think NVIDIA Arm, for example, they had this in their merger agreement as well. And there was another recent fairly big one, which I, I forget, but... Yeah, they would have uh, taken over 80% of the market if that deal would have went through. Arm would have been... Uh, yeah. NVIDIA would have been like literally the rulers of the planet when it came yeah, they to chip been. making. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was a bit a bit different anyway. But the, the crux of it was that they didn't get, you know, regulatory approval from the CMA and therefore, you know, the the um couldn't complete the condition under the merger agreement and they couldn't you know, they couldn't do the thing that the merger agreement contemplates. So mm. I think people miss that, right? That's like a pre step to all of the other stuff, which is to say and this is something that I've said like day one, just because I've been involved in this stuff and like actually like written these conditions and be like being involved in it is that it's so fundamental to the deal that if you don't fulfill the condition, your, your agreement basically says it's dead. Right. Yeah. And you, you, you can, you can go back and have a look at other cases where, you know, a regulator has torpedoed it. And in some press releases, you know, the companies involved will say, you know, we couldn't, we couldn't complete the deal because our, you know, our agreement said this and, we can't fulfill that condition. So that's like the first but, but, but you don't likely think that that's what's going to happen with this deal. I, th I think Microsoft is uh, has already put out there that they are looking not to take Call of Duty away. They, I mean, they literally, my, I mean, the head of Microsoft Gaming literally just said today that they are going to treat Call of Duty like Minecraft, which makes sense. So I would which, imagine which that. Always yeah, made sense, yeah. Yeah, it, it, so I, I think I think I mean is is it safe to assume Luke that because this deal is so important, not just for Call of Duty because that's what PlayStation wants you to think they they have painted it like it's only about Call of Duty. When I'm here to tell you that that in fact is not the case at all. There's a lot more here. Do you think that there's uh, that Microsoft is going to be willing to uh, uh, offer up concessions even before they're asked? 
Uh, yeah, I th- look, I think they, they would be willing to do it. Um, but as always, you know, it's difficult because you don't you don't know what a regulator wants, right? They don't know what the, that's the reason they didn't offer any concessions or remedies in phase one, because they don't know what the CMA will want. And you can theorize a little bit because the CMA have actively told you, you know, here's the three areas um, that we're looking into, one of which, as you say, is kind of Activision content, but specifically Call of Duty. But the other two I'd be more worried about if I was Microsoft because, you know, they concern multi-game subscriptions and cloud gaming services. You know, those are the other two kind of areas the CMA don't like. Um, but the, the the problem is that Microsoft don't know what remedies the CMA want until the CMA say these are the remedies we want. Um, now there is a like a discussion around that. They will talk to the CMA about it before the CMA actually make public to say, you know, these are the these are what we want. And I think Microsoft would be willing to do stuff, but if the CMA are going to th- do things like, you know, um, and and we said uh, discussed this pre-show, like this, the competition regulators like dislike behavioral remedies. So where you say you're going to do something, even if that's contractual, they don't like that because ultimately they say, well, you could, you could just get out of a con like there are ways and means of getting out of a contract. They, they don't last forever. Um, so we're back to square one. They don't like those kind of remedies. What they really like is, is structural ones where you divest yourself of something, um, which is exactly the type of thing they've just ordered facebook to do right i mean they blocked the deal anyway but they said look you've got to you've got to sell giphy like to a third party that's that's divesture and like are microsoft going to entertain the idea for example if the cma say you know what we're so worried about call of duty that we want you to sell it we want you to sell the ip to a third party like there's no way microsoft are going to do that, you know because right. it's kind of what the cruxes of this entire deal so I don't know. I, I think Microsoft would offer remedies, but I have no idea what the CMA want. That's the problem. And that's what Microsoft are grappling with. Like they, they probably like, they want to work with the CMA. You know, they're willing to perhaps offer some concessions, but the CMA might want stuff that is really out of the wheelhouse of Microsoft in terms of um, kind of, again, torpedoing the deal, making it commercially illogical, that sort of stuff, right? Interesting. Uh, first of all, I want to welcome in 3-Bit joining us. What's going on, 3-Bit? How you been, brother? Long time, no time. Yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> it certainly has, man. You've been busy doing your development thing. Uh, how are you? Yeah, I'm uh, Microsoft, kind of an employee, kind of. <laughs> so working on Fables, it's been good. It's been good. Nice, nice. Very good. Well, listen, it's great to have you here, part of the conversation uh, Wandering Dutch, do you want to ask Luke any questions regarding, because he's been put, dropping some major bombs, uh, and uh, like again, at the end of the day, we'll get his final opinion on where he thinks this deal is ultimately going to fall. Uh, wh- what would you like to uh, run past Luke? Yeah, yeah. So uh, me and Luke have had the, the pleasure of speaking about this in depth on a number of, number of occasions now, but I think it's more more not for myself, more for more people in the chat, of course, I think, because... Um, there's obviously a lot of terminology used in, in your answer before, Luke, as you can probably imagine. And I think a lot of people are still a little bit mixed up with how things play out if one or another doesn't happen. So um, just to kind of reiterate, yeah. due to the, it's not because 
one market blocks than everybody than obviously it feels because of that it's the terms of the contract just to confirm between blizzard activision and microsoft for yep. the purpose of the deal completing that they have said yeah one of the terms is that everyone approves this and then we will complete between each other so it's their own set terms it's not the governments that have set these terms they've yep. said to each other part of our agreement in order to complete is is that we get approval from everybody first and if we don't get approval that is the end of it essentially is that that is that is essentially the be all end all isn't it yeah, essentially, that's kind of the first answer to that, which is, you know, exactly as you've described that, you know, um, and and I, we, none of us have seen the merger agreement in writing, yeah. right? But in the SEC filings, Activision do describe it in that manner. They say these are conditions and that, you know, if they don't get the approvals, that may just sink the deal. That may is a, a light word because what they actually mean is it will but obviously you can't just, you don't want to worry yeah. shareholders when you're talking <laughs> about that, right? Because you want them exactly. to approve it. So, um, so yeah, that, that's the one. And then like, I guess in a scenario, if you want me to elaborate, but in a scenario, let's just imagine that didn't exist or that somehow they got around it, right? And the CMA blocks, but everywhere, uh, everywhere says, yeah, we're fine. You know, go ahead. Even in that scenario, I think it's unlikely that Microsoft would proceed with it because- yeah. The fact is that, um, first of all, the CMA can fine you a pretty large amount of money. I think it's 5% of your global combined turnover. So um, it's a huge, like that may not sound like much, but when you're talking about Microsoft and Activision's global turnover, right, that's that's an enormous amount of money. Yeah, it's billions. Um, yeah, it's billions. Yeah. Um, so as that um i've heard some people suggest that maybe they just pull out of the uk market it's never going to happen it's not a realistic answer because yeah. you know gaming market uk top 10 biggest in the world call of duty is massive you know massive xbox fan base um they have various contracts in you know government you know across the entire tech space in the uk never going to happen um directors obviously will you know have microsoft have a fiduciary duty to shareholders pulling out of the deal doing pulling out the uk market it's not good for the company at all it hugely damages their brand reputation their commercial reputation their business reputation like it's just not a realistic suggestion that they would ever do yeah. that so i think even even if they got past contractual bit and the cma said we you know we're still gonna you know we're gonna block this um or we want to block this and myself said we're just going to ignore you they it's won't get very it. far it's not yeah. worth it it's not <laughs> worth it to them uh, yeah um, i would say a final point as well because of course there's a lot of people hearing this obviously it, it it sounds uber serious but as you reiterated before as well luke like this is yeah. standard procedure for a deal of this size anyway yep. so it's always going to go yep. through phase two these are like worst case scenarios we're speaking about here it's not like this is definitely going to happen. But in, no. in your experience, based on the knowledge that you have there, do you foresee this personally getting blocked or do you foresee this having remedies? Oh, that's... See, if I could answer that question, I'd be... In your, in your personal opinion, um, as opposed to kind of from, uh, uh, from their perspective. In, 
in my personal opinion. Um, I think the, uh, I think it's more likely than not that they will get it through the CMA. Um, whether that's with remedies or not, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I think they have a, they've got a, a strong kind of case, if you will. I don't mean to make it adversarial again, but you know, they, they have a, they have a, they have strong arguments with this stuff. Um, the phase two panel is a is a different panel, you know, than phase one. It's a more senior yeah. panel. Are they um, are they a more investigative panel as opposed to phase one? Um, I wouldn't say more investigative, but they are um, they are far the the more experienced, right? As in, they tend to be. It, it's quite hard to get on a CMA panel, but they tend to be very, very, very highly educated. Um, usually from different fields, so uh, economics or uh, law, for example, um, finance, that sort of stuff. And they kind of direct the review. Uh, obviously, there are lots of people working underneath them to gather evidence and help assist, you know, and to kind of give them a report to read through. But th they're actively involved in that. So um, they are... You know, I think the important point to know is that they're different, right? Yeah. They're different. They're very experienced. They're kind of the the cream of the crop of the CMA, as it were. There's only about gotcha. thirty panel members, and I think there's about five on this one, for example. So, so they're they're really really intelligent. So, um, they will take a kind of scrutinous side to this as they're supposed to do, but they they are open to uh, debate. You know they're open to to ideas that Microsoft, and, and that's have. where Rima Alali would come in, right? Uh, she's obviously spearheading uh, this uh, defense, so to speak, for Microsoft. Yep. That's where she would come in, and I guess she would. Uh, they would have discussions. I would, I'm not going to say arguments because they're not arguing yep. here. They're literally having uh, discussions regarding uh, pushing this through versus not pushing it through. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, in, in phase two, they'll usually that, that panel will actually go to, um, uh, to the, the merging parties, like local headquarters to have a meeting. They usually get a presentation by, in this case, Microsoft. Um, and, uh, they even get a tour sometimes, which is nice for them. <laughs> I don't know why it's relevant to a, a competition review, That's but nice that happens. That's nice. nice of them. Uh, you know, and Microsoft London campus is really nice, you know, so, uh, they might be persuaded by the, you know, by the coffee there, but, um, so yeah, so, so they get that and, and as you like, they get a presentation and they get to talk, um, and as you say, um, Remy Lali will will be there, who is you know like a really intelligent woman herself, really fantastic. I've heard only great well. things about her. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, her so, intelligence is off the chart. Yeah, so um, she you know she's not a magic wand. Why? Right, she's not a magician, but, right? <laughs> but but she's like the type of lawyer you would definitely want. You know, she's got vast experience in this stuff. Now, obviously, she has a vested interest because Microsoft are her employer, right? But that. Everybody knows that, um, but she, you know, will be there. Um, I would imagine Phil will probably fly over to do that, you know, to be in that meeting as well. I think it would probably be that important to him that that he'd be there. Certainly, she would, and then they would bring in um, their 
counsel, i.e. the the lawyers they've hired externally, Vile Gottschall in this instance, to also help. So it's an all-hands-on-deck approach. But yeah, I mean... Look, I mean, overall, do I think it will pass? I, I was more confident towards the start of this than I am now. I will say that. Uh, I said before, phase two is not a good place to be. Um, but as you've seen today with the London Stock Exchange one, it doesn't mean that your deal's dead because it goes to phase two. The CMA might do an about turn, right? Or they might come to some analysis that's much more favorable. So um, I think there's reasons to be optimistic. Clearly, my are concerned because you know you can tell from what they're doing that they're concerned you know by all the public facing statements they're making and all by the, the now does uh, any other public the, fa- if i'm glad you brought that up because that's actually going to be a question that i asked next and crispy we'll, we'll we'll get to you and of course read bit momentarily what microsoft did by creating the website and coming out there and being forward facing and transparent in a lot of the ways that they are doing things uh, yeah. I, I think I think that it's going to help, but again, that's just my personal opinion. My my, I do have a small question. When you when the CMA Phase Two takes a look at this deal, right? Yeah. Do they actually look at what this deal does for the human element of gaming, meaning that the actual people that work at Activision Blizzard, meaning that you know we know that for years they were under. Uh, the, the uh, you know, Bobby Kotick, who's considered to be the devil, like, like the guy is, he's an awful person. Uh, we know that he's going to be given a golden parachute when he leaves. He's not going to be a part of Microsoft when this deal ultimately gets done. We do know that Microsoft is, uh, has agreed to have unions come into gaming for the first time in gaming history, right? All of the people that are currently working for Activision specifically and Blizzard in some aspect, are, you know, took a big sigh of relief when Microsoft announced they were going to purchase this. You know, Microsoft, uh, uh, Activision said that if this deal doesn't go through, we know that their stock is going to tank. Uh, it's going to drop. It's it's going to drop faster than a brick in water, which means that they're going to have to potentially lay off thousands upon thousands of employees. Does the CMA and any of these governmental uh, instant you know institutions take that into account? So I guess on the um, the employee one, uh, the CMA do not look at that. I don't think many other regulators uh, do either, um, because all they're looking at is is you know competition and ultimately how that will affect consumers, not other interested stakeholders. Um, so. Uh, they don't. I know in the US, for example, I think um, Elizabeth Warren and maybe a couple yes. of others uh, wrote to the FTC slash DOJ and, and said that they should in the future look to the interests of, uh, of employ- employees as well, because it, obviously they're a really important stakeholder in all of this in, in some sense. Um, so I, maybe that will change in the US, but certainly in the UK, no, um, the CMA don't look at that. Um, and then I guess, you know, in terms of impact of the company, you know, Activision, if the deal doesn't go through, do they, do the CMA look at that? Um, they do, because one thing they have to analyze is what they call the counterfactual, which is basically what happens if we, um, if 
uh, well, what happens essentially if we don't let this go through, right? So if we block it, what happens then? The counterfactuals kind of analysis of current, you know, the current market as it is, and then what might happen if the CMA um, uh, uh, block it and try and keep things as a status quo in, in some sense. So they would look at that. They wouldn't particularly care if Microsoft, if um, Activision's uh, stock prices drop, which they probably would. I don't think it would be catastrophic, but certainly would. Um, so yeah, they they have some look at that sort of stuff, but again, it's not because really like it's not that's not a regulator's fault if that makes any sense like right. two two companies have come together and decided they want to merge fine but then they have to bear the repercussions of that as to what that means amongst competition regulators and what the impacts will be if this doesn't happen and what the impacts will be if it does right so all the all a competition regulator can do is go right okay this within our jurisdiction this falls within the the laws of competition in our jurisdiction or of antitrust we have to analyze it that's our duty and then whatever happens out of that is is really is what it is okay i mean i mean the perfectly uh said uh crispy you have any questions or a specific question you'd like to ask luke about the deal uh, I don't know. You, you, you kind of beat it around the bush and answered my question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. There's been a lot of um, other regulatory bodies that have come out and, and spoke against the CMA. Now, I know you're probably going to say legally that has no bearing, but I mean, I feel like because they're two U.S. companies and because... You know, if you look at the analytics of it, it's not logical to be using the the leader of that particular space as your example of an issue. Do you feel like uh, if this continues to happen where there's these other regulators or even governing bodies, you know, parts of the United States government that have something to say about this and they continue to say something, do you think that will have an effect on their decision? Um, it's a good question. Um, I, I think, um, so I think, I don't know if there's any regulators that have come out and particularly taken issue with the CMA. Well, they, I know they, that they, they, they regulate saying, certain aspects of like markets and stuff like that, but they're not, and this is like a worldwide type thing. Like whether know, they're, the, the, they're, uh, they're um, independent, but I can't remember their name. Yeah, there were a couple in the U.S., weren't they? Which were, um, I think, uh, business-related. Yeah, they're, 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 I mean, they're, they're funded like, lo by, by business by businesses. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, so there were a couple there. Um, I think this week or maybe the yeah, last two. Yeah, I think I think what Crispy's alluding to is is first off the Chamber of Commerce and and mm -hmm. yeah. and also some verbiage in the Brazil response that kind mm -hmm. of alluded to hey. We're here for competition and not necessarily one versus another, which people maybe rightly or wrongly have ascribed to, hey, they're talking about the CMA there. I think that's what he may be, he may be discussing. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, Crispy. There, there is one other one. I can't remember. I don't, I believe it's it's a global, it's like a global business. Was it I that, was that information technology? Yes, yes the IT, I something yeah. or other. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I just, I feel like, you know, 
as we're going about it. Like, like that, that's just a few, you know what I mean? And, and a lot yeah. of people say chambers, oh, that's, that's not, but they, they are made up of like senators and, and like, you know, people in the business world and stuff like that. Like there's, there's a lot going on with that when they speak up, which I haven't seen them speak up in, I'd, I'd say at least 10 years about something. Mm. And, and then the problem that I think they brought to light is that, you know, the CMA is, is trying to govern two technically full on American companies and what they're doing. And that bothers them. And, and, and that's not to say that, you know, I don't see the FTC or anybody in in the American side trying to govern anybody else's, you know, mergers. And basically if it's in that country, they're going to pass it. If that country allows it, that's basically the way they, I've seen them act. You know what I mean? And, and yes, they will have companies that are interjecting between global market and then you kind of let it play out. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. like, you know, like there's certain companies that have tried it and, and they've gotten blocked, but they're technically in two different markets. So like you just have to let it play out. So I just I feel like, you know, this could be something that, you know, as, as you look at the numbers themselves and as people, you know, with a mind like yourself who just say, you know, like I'm in this this aspect, like what's going on here? Like, why is this happening? Because it doesn't make sense. You know, there's going to be people like us that are kind of like, uh, I don't understand the whole lawyer, but those people that are starting to speak up, they definitely have a knowledge in that. And that's where I go and say, you know, I, I understand legally, like they, they can't say that, but I mean, yeah. I feel like it could pose some influence on that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I'd be really wary of, and this is like no offense to those people, bodies like some of the bodies we mentioned but like they are ultimately advocate you know advocates for u.s business so of course they're not going to want you know a regulator external to the u.s to look at it they're, they're kind of lobbying bodies right so um it would be the same in the uk if you know our business lobbying bodies if um you know let's say two uk companies wanted to merge and um, the EU had a look at the deal, right, and were skeptical of it. Um, so will those be influential to the CMA? No, they won't. Being honest, like they're not gonna, they're not gonna do anything um, because they are not. I mean, even if they were government bodies, you know, of the US, then it's it's tough luck, right? As in. The CMA have jurisdiction to review mergers that have a particular UK impact. If your merger, if you're two US companies and your merger has a particular UK impact that meets the thresholds under UK law, which are pretty high, by the way, like they're, you know, it's not like small businesses, right? It's big, huge mergers. If that is the case, then unfortunately for your merger, it's going to have to go through the UK regulatory process um, in much the same way as if it touches on the, you know, the, EU regulations about this um, because of its particular size relative to um, the EU, uh, it has to go through that that procedure as well. Um, that That's just the nature of um, huge mergers that are global in nature, you know, where businesses are, you know, have touch points and touchstones in, in major jurisdictions other than the US, even if they may be US companies. So if there were two UK companies that touch the, you know, the, um, I mean, it's the Sherman Act in, in America for some reason, then 
you know, rightly, then the FTC slash DOJ would have to look at that as well. And they might have a particularly dim view of it on the, the US market. These these entities are trying to protect consumers in their in their markets, right? In their regions, um, correct. In their regions, yeah. That's that's the point. I know people don't think the CMA is doing that because of the way that they um uh describe well, their wording their wasn't good, especially yeah, in no, phase it, it, one. Their wording is uh and I foresaw this before it even came out. Like in my head, I was like, if they do what they usually do in terms of how they describe competition effects, then people are going to think that there's some inherent issue with this because the way that the CMA, when they're evaluating, does it have an impact on consumers? The way they do that is to say, okay, well, if it, it can only have an impact on consumers, if it has an impact on competition, what's competition? It's rivalry between different market participants. The only way you assess competition is by reference to those participants. And the only way you really assess it is by looking at who's the leader in the sector, right? So Sony were always going to be like a kind of focal point for the CMA to say, here's the leader, like here's the big, like one of the biggest participants. Microsoft are also one of the biggest participants in this particular market, right, with Nintendo, and then there are lots of other publishers, developers, etc. Um, how will this interplay down the line with that rivalry? Will it affect the rivalry in such a detrimental manner that ultimately that would be bad for consumers? But if you go and look at the CMAs of the cases, you know, uh, where they have different sectors, like they do this in like pharmaceutical stuff, right? They'll, you know, assess pharmaceutical mergers by reference to Pfizer or some other leader in that space because that's just the way they do it. Even though I know it looks like Jim Ryan's, you know, driven like a truck of PlayStation 5s and early copies of God of War Ragnarok to the CMA's <laughs> door and gone, here you go, you know, benefit the deal. But yeah, so that's that's what they do. But I mean, like, I don't think those bodies will influence the deal at all. Um, and even if a government came out and said, you know, X, Y, or Z um, from the US or from anywhere else, again, it wouldn't impact them because they have no authority. In relation to the, well, they're also feed. not there looking out for the U.S. regulators are looking yeah, out. For they're looking US out for them. Consumers, correct. Yeah, rightly, Where, rightly. That's, the that's CMA is looking joke. out for yeah. no. uh, consumers. Now, just out of curiosity, if they, if they, it look, it looks as if, from what I understand, and we'll get to uh, um, three bit in a second, that the EU is going to levy their uh, their decision first before the CMA. Um, and I believe that right after that, or in the month of uh, the middle month of November, which is next month, uh, the G, uh, the uh, FTC is going to they don't they don't pass the deal. They simply don't oppose the deal. Yeah. What if these two giant entities say, "Yeah, listen, no concessions. We don't see a problem with it. Sony is going to be fine. Uh, they've been a market leader for twenty years. They continue to be the console market leader. This is not going to." Uh, the Microsoft's already said they're going to keep Call of Duty everywhere like Minecraft. We don't see a problem with it. Would the CMA uh, be inclined to levy a, a, a decision that's the same? Um, yeah, it's it's difficult to know, I think. Um, I, so I think the EU are just in their phase one at the moment. So right. I think in November they'll say if they take it to a phase two. Now, Brace yourselves here, because I expect that they will take it to phase two. I'd be really surprised if they didn't. 
Okay. Uh, again, that does, that doesn't mean that they, you know, uh, are being paid in in dual sense controllers, but it, you know, it does mean that they have. <laughs> no, it just concerns. means that they want a, a more yeah. investigative look into it. Exactly. The second phase. Exactly. They have a very similar. The EU has a very similar merger regime uh, to to the UK, so it's very similar tests. Um. So that probably will go to phase two. In the circumstances where, for example, the EU and the FTC, you know. Uh, the FTC don't come to a decision, but you know what I mean? They come to the same They don't conclusion. block it. They don't go to yeah, they don't block sue it. Microsoft to block it. Right. Exactly. Um, and uh, the CMA, kind of the, the last man standing, and they're looking at it, then there is a big um, sort of uh, information sharing protocol across these regulators, right? And they do talk to each other and they're involved with each other particularly, obviously, where there is a deal like this one, which crosses over all these jurisdictions. So it, it may it may influence us, you know, uh, because they may speak to the EU and, and FTC and say, okay, well, what, you know, you've had access to the same data as we have, you know, what's the rationale for you coming to, to the conclusions you have? And that, that could influence, like, it could influence the CMA. Um, the difficulty is, I think it's unlikely you'll get, like, the EU having made its decision uh, before the CMA because they're only final. Okay, I thought they were yeah, further along. Yeah, yeah so, uh, and I think the FTC, they, they're supposed to say something if they want to say something in November, but I think they can even extend that by a certain amount of time. So, again, defer to whole glory on all, all US matters. But, yeah, um, yeah so, like, it's, it's a bit, it's a bit in flux. And also, I, I, the CMA will probably put out their provisional decision in January, um, but they put out like a provisional report to say we we think that we basically arrive we've arrived at this conclusion, and then there can be like you know um, responses to that and discussions, and then they by the end of March that's when they have to put out a final report and say this is what we actually you know this is what we think, um, either pass it or block it, ask for remedies, whatever. Interesting. Interesting. All right. Well, listen, let's get three bit into the conversation. Three bit, you have a question you want to you wanna, uh, levy for Luke regarding the ABK merger? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I would love for him to expand on like um, in, in the hypothetical case of, of it's blocked. Um, what grounds is Microsoft protected with the CMA? Uh, I know you kind of talked about it with the FTC. Microsoft can get a bunch of different lawyers involved and, and things like that. But with the CMA, um, can you, can you kind of like go into that a little bit more? Like what Microsoft could do if, if it was hypothetically blocked? Yeah, I, t I touched on this um, earlier, but kind of briefly, um, they can appeal to a, a tribunal in the UK called the Com Competition Appeals Tribunal. They can only apply on certain grounds, so they can't challenge the basis of the CMA's decision, you know, they can't say we don't agree with the decision, therefore we're challenging it. It has to be on like a, a procedural ground, effectively, they've done something wrong in their analysis, um, or the way that they've conducted the case. Um, so they can do that. Um, beyond that, um, you can't really do much in the UK. Um, the C the uh, Appeals Tribunal can't overturn the CMA's decision either. It can only just essentially refer it back to the it, cma and because of how the deal i guess is structured you're you saying that like um for the most part if any i guess 
regulator were to not approve the deal, then mo then the primary deal as a whole is is kind of shut down. Uh, do you ever see a scenario where it's approved everywhere, but let's just say it's hypothetically it's an, it's approved everywhere except the CMA? Uh, do you see a scenario where Microsoft can uh, what Microsoft would do in that situation? Would they just cancel the deal or? I think given, yeah, I think they, I think they just couldn't complete it under the merger agreement. If it's a CMA now, if I don't know, um, you know, um, Saudi Arabia had come out and said, we're blocking the deal. Not that Saudi Arabia would ever do that, but if they did and they kind of seemingly fall under this relevant regulatory authority in the merger agreement. So they're not named the Saudi Arabian competition authority, the CMA, the EU and the uh, US are. So they're clearly very important. But if Saudi Arabia came out and blocked it, like let's say they were the only ones standing, I think they'd probably fail safes in the agreement for Microsoft to say, oh, we, we don't care. Like, you know, we don't care about that market too much. So we're just going to proceed and we'll just take whatever the backlash is. Um, for the CMA and, and the EU and the FTC slash DOJ, um, it's so fundamental to the agreement, seemingly, um, that if one of those blocks it, then that's pretty much it. Like provided they block it and then you try and exhaust all your options with that jurisdiction that's, and you don't get anywhere, that's that's it. Well, listen, this is this has been one hell of an hour and 15 uh, worth of this show. Uh, Luke, I can't thank you enough for answering all the questions. Obviously, you're going to hang around while we, we, we get into uh, what Phil Spencer had to say. But ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome in the 520 people that are here for the new episode of Primetime Gaming. Obviously, if you are someone that's finding the channel for the first time, I would ask that you consider subscribing we are on the hunt for 12k and uh we are just a little over 600 subscribers away from doing so and uh listen i don't know if we hit that in 2022 but it would be damn nice to do so uh but i do want to get into of course uh what happened today now phil spencer head of microsoft gaming uh was out making some rounds and he was of course talking a lot about Activision Blizzard King. Uh, we This information comes to us from Tom Warren. Now, Tom Warren, if you don't know, is a reporter for The Verge. Uh, he's someone that is constantly out here. He's a senior editor, more specifically, at TheVerge.com, and he covers everything from PC all the way through uh, every piece of hardware. He put out uh, a lot of tweets today regarding I think uh, Boom is. I, th actually I think we lost. I think we lost Boom. Leader. Yes, sir. <laughs> that guy, I actually hit oh, the. Is. Yeah, oh. sorry. No, he's back. Yeah, there we go. That's, 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 sorry about that. I, I, let me let me just move the screen. That was me. I hit the back button. I was going through um um my 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 uh my tabs and I accidentally hit the other one. I'll get to gameplay back in a second, but uh let me pull up some of the Tom Warren tweets here, folks. That. Uh, has a lot of people uh, talking, and specifically what Microsoft, uh, head of Microsoft Gaming, Phil Spencer, had to say. And, uh, you know, one of the things that came up that kind of 
took a lot of people by storm, Luke, is the fact that uh, he has once again put out there not only to uh, numerous uh, entities, uh, uh, governmental entities regarding uh, Call of Duty, uh, but he actually said it again. Call of Duty is going to be treated like Minecraft. Now, we know Minecraft currently is available here, there, and everywhere. I mean, heck, you can play Minecraft on your refrigerator if you have a screen, and it appears that uh, Microsoft, and again, this, 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 again, this might be, you know, uh, Microsoft uh, or head of Microsoft Gaming doing the rounds, kind of letting you know the, the 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 transparency of what this deal means for Microsoft, for regulators potentially to move in their in their decision to pass it or push it through. Uh, I know that Jim Ryan has been out here banging the drum. As a matter of fact, they're the only entity to oppose this deal. I know there's some people that are saying that Google is now, uh, you know, you know, siding with uh, with Sony, but I, I don't necessarily know how how true that is because I haven't seen anything from Google since Stadia was killed, and we know that Google killed it themselves. I mean, they have a a whole website dedicated to it's called the Graveyard of Google, uh, uh, uh you know, of of things that they start and they never finish. Uh, but Jim Ryan, head of PlayStation, uh, has been out there uh talking about how uh the 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 removal of call of duty would be to the detriment of all uh, of sony they they would be out of business uh there's been some talk about uh the market being you know uh you know closed by fence and then somehow sony the market leader for 20 years would die uh we also have a report from vgc uh where currently uh, the market leader in regards to console sales is the Nintendo Switch uh, for this generation. Uh, they have th- 43% of the market. But know what's interesting, Luke? They don't have Call of Duty. They have their own shooter that they made from scratch called Splatoon. happens to be the hottest game since sliced bread. Uh, but when you, see Mike, uh, when you see Phil Spencer out there talking about, uh, you know, they're, they're basically taking interviews with anyone that will have them. And specifically, this interview uh, with The Verge talked about how they intend to not only keep uh, Call of Duty on PlayStation, what seems like forever, they're going to bring it to the Nintendo Switch. They want Call of Duty on more screens than it's ever had before. And the last time a Nintendo console, Luke, had uh, a Call of Duty was the Wii U. Uh, And that is what seems like decades ago. what are your thoughts on on you know Phil Spencer out here talking about they're gonna treat um, Call of Duty like Minecraft? Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's, I mean, my first of all is that I don't want to be the developer making a Call of Duty for <laughs> Nintendo Switch. Like that would that sounds like hell trying to do that. But uh, and I would not be playing that version. But um, if they did, I think that's really interesting, and um, it it doesn't surprise me. I mean, um, you know, Call of Duty is in that bracket of um, such a ubiquitous worldwide game, like Minecraft is, right? So influential um, in the gaming sphere that um, why wouldn't you know Microsoft want to exploit it everywhere they possibly could? Uh, including PlayStation, obviously, um, and they've continued to commit to that. Um, but also the Switch stuff was, re- you know, on Nintendo platform stuff was really interesting because it shows that they actually 
I think it's probably the first time, you know, Phil's actually come out and talked about Call of Duty in relation to Switch. You know, he said that Call of Duty, he wants Call of Duty to reach, you know, even more gamers before, but he's never actually explicitly mentioned a Nintendo platform in relation to that. Um, so I, I thought that was really interesting. And, it, you know, it's... Uh, He's he's doing his you know um, his tour at the moment, as you say, like to to try and get out there and and look good, you know, and look, um, you know, trying to assuage some of the fears of of regulators like the CMA, um, specifically vis a vis Call of Duty. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense, though, right? I mean, you know, the amount of money that Call of Duty makes, anyway. Um, you could make even more money if you bring it to more platforms and, and enable people to access it in different ways and exploit the IP more than just, you know, a yearly franchise and Warzone, try and introduce, you know, different types of games, for example, um, with that moniker. So, um, yeah, it didn't surprise me at all. I think it was, uh, it was a good, it's a good look for Microsoft, right? It's a good look for, for Phil as well. I mean, yeah, it's a good look, but I think it's an honest look. Like uh, they actually said uh, in in their response to the CMA that it does not make financial sense to remove Call of Duty uh, from uh, from you know the the revenue source out of of Sony is just much more than anyone else. So we know that it's making a ton of money over there. Uh, I, I you know what I, I find it very interesting. I want to get your opinion on this. You know uh, the. The, the original uh, um, uh, response from Jim Ryan was that if Call of Duty is removed from PlayStation, uh, it's going to be disastrous for the brand. The brand is going to go out of business. They have they don't have any studios that could respond, which is, you know, that kind of sucks if you are a PlayStation studio because you're saying basically we can't match what they do over at Call of Duty. But OK, he's got to he's got to, you know, say what he's got to say. For his shareholders and to try and block this deal. Um, but what I found interesting was the response after Microsoft said, Hey, listen, we're gonna keep it there. His response was like, Well, even if you even if it stays multi-plat, we still have a problem with it because they have Game Pass and we don't have Game Pass. Well, they do, they have their own version of Game Pass. Now it's their decision not to put day and day games on there. That's really a Sony problem, not a Microsoft problem. What What are your thoughts on that? Then they they shifted from, oh, you have to have, we have to have Call of Duty to, okay, well, we're going to keep Call of Duty, but it's still a problem because you have Game Pass and we don't. Uh, yeah, I, I think um, I think there's probably something the CMA talked about as well, uh, which is the 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 worry, like you know, the the potential with Microsoft having Call of Duty is that. Um, okay, they wouldn't make it exclusive, but they would foreclose access to it in some other way or kind of reverse foreclose the game by, you know, um, for example, bringing it to Game Pass, but not bringing it to uh, a PlayStation service or an equivalent service on PC or whatever. So, um, yeah, I, it... I mean, it is what it is. Like Microsoft want to exploit Call of Duty in ways that are beneficial to them. Um, they would obviously want to bring it to Game Pass if um, if the deal goes through. Uh, obviously, they, they seemingly can't because of the marketing contract 
uh, at least for the next few years anyway. The market right, so at least 2024, from what we understand, is when the contract, the current contract expires. And Microsoft even offered to extend that to 2027. Uh, it's just that uh, they wouldn't have marketing rights yeah. anymore, Obvious, which yeah. makes sense because they don't which own the IP. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Because, I mean, why would Microsoft give up that benefit, right? Um, so, uh, yeah, look, I mean, Sony are going to have issues with this. Of course they are. Uh, it's not surprising. Um, Call of Duty is obviously a very important third-party to, uh, you know, third-party franchise to them, probably the most important third-party franchise to them. Um, it's a big source of revenue. They they don't want anything that could, you know, it's not just about the revenue of that game, I think, for Sony. It's clearly about the uh, connection, the connotation it has with PlayStation. That's what's really important to them because, you know, that's the point of their marketing, right? It's to connect the game to PlayStation so that people associate it with PlayStation and therefore they kind of stick to that platform and, and aren't moved away because obviously if you get a Call of Duty game in, then they're going to spend money elsewhere, right? So um, so that's that's probably the main thing that they're worried about. But, you know, as you say, Microsoft are going to want to do all the things that you would imagine Microsoft are going to want to do with the game if the acquisition goes through. Um, I don't know if... It's, I kind of agree with the idea that Sony couldn't build an equivalent game, not because I don't think they could build a game of that quality, because, you know, there are lots of developers on the Microsoft and Sony side, given the time, that could build a game that's, you know, very good. But the problem with Call of Duty is, like Minecraft or others, it's it's the brand name. You can't just build 15 years of brand name, right? You can't just come up with that from scratch. So that's the only kind of argument that I, like, have favorable views towards you know in terms of when people talk about the impact it will have on sony because otherwise i don't with what microsoft is saying i don't think it will have that great of an impact yes people will maybe come up some people will come away from the playstation platform because it'll be available on game pass but i don't think people are going to come in like you know millions of players of droves and just switch platform that's not how that's not how people work right that's not how gamers work so um yeah it's an interesting question very, very, very interesting. You know, what? let's bring in Mag on the conversation. Yes, sir. Uh, I know that you got to go at nine at a hard, at, at, you know, you got a hard out at nine. But hey. here's, here's yeah. my question to you. Yes. Luke's making great points. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, you know, Sony, uh, you know, their argument, I think that their argument is weak sauce because they make some of the greatest games, uh, the, the, you know, the bangers, as the kids say. Uh, right. They, they, they're constantly making. Where where do you personally feel, uh, you know, and 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 how how they could personally respond to uh, you know them not uh, them you know Call of Duty not being in their service, whereas it would be in Microsoft service, uh, because you know they have done things. Um, Final Fantasy VII, perfect example. Where can you play that? Well, you can play that, uh, you know, on, on exclusively on PlayStation Four and Five, but you can't play right. that on Xbox. Uh, they have done many, many things that a lot of Xbox gamers are left holding the bag. Xbox gamers then are forced uh, to have to buy a PlayStation if they want to play, you know, specific games. Uh, I don't see anything different than what Microsoft is doing. Why does Sony have a problem with this? If that's what they have built their entire generation on here's the interesting thing you know now that you mentioned that 
I don't think they have. And the reason why I'm saying that, I don't think I don't think they've built the, uh, the, their their legacy on that. They've utilized those games, first party games, as weapons. They've weaponized those games as tools. If you look at the sales numbers of those games, all those first party games, and even the third party exclusives, they're not doing anything. It's not moving the needle financially. I mean, 10 million, 15 million—that's peanuts compared to what a game like Call of Duty does or anything like that. Now, here's the thing. They are obviously trying to combat in one way or another, even before this deal came to fruition, when they were talking about that they have, what, like half a dozen games as a service, games in development right now, on top of purchasing oh, they Bungie. Have tw- they have 12. 12 oh, Jesus. H. Christ. Yeah. I didn't know it was that many. I thought they it was half 12. a dozen. Okay, so you've got all of that, plus they purchased Bungie for, what is it, 3 point whatever billion dollars? 3.6. So, yeah, yeah 3.6. So they're obviously working on something that they could utilize engagement that's the big name that we have to use the word they have to use for the day is that what call of duty brings that like god of war does not bring is engagement on a regular basis right call of duty or uh, god of war when it comes out i've already bought it right so it's sitting there i've made the purchase that's it the money ends there whereas call of duty and Fortnite, and let's not forget, guys, and that is not just Call of Duty. You got the, the Apex Legends and the Fortnites and the and the Call of Duties and the War Zones and whatever else, right? That is where PlayStation made their bread and butter. Everything else was based off of reputation. Their biggest selling game or a first party game was what Spider-Man, and that was only like 20-something million. That's nothing. Call of Duty's gonna make that in two days. You see what I'm saying? So that is the concern there. And the concern is, let's not forget, microtransactions, um, uh, season purchases, uh, uh, you know, all these different things. What the hell is it? The, the season passes, right? Skins, all kinds of things. You can go play as Rambo in the, in the war zone or whatever you want to do, right? They all cost money, just like just like Fortnite, you know? You can buy all the, you know, all the different games. By the way, they have Ash in for, uh, for, uh, Fortnite right now with the chainsaw attached oh, to his nice. arm. So, yeah, oh, yeah, like I got to get it. I mean, even though I don't play Fortnite, I just need it. But anyways, the point is that's where they make their money. And you see, I just made my point right now. Fortnite just made $15 off of me. And I haven't, you know what I mean? And I barely play the damn thing. But that's what they're going to be missing if the game wasn't on there. But however, the game will be on there. The bigger problem is they're going to worry about the engagement numbers on the PlayStation. Because let's face it, in the end, $15 a month, $15 let's say, is better than paying $105. Right, I just paid 105 for the Call of Duty because they're charging the same price as the uh, PlayStation Five exclusive games. So here in Canada, and I'm sure in most parts of the uh, of Europe and uh, uh, the UK, and of course Australia, we're paying well over 70 dollars. All right, at least the equi- the equivalent of. So in right here in Canada, like I said, 105 dollars for Call of Duty. Is it better than that, or you're 15? Now at the end of the day, though, the interesting thing is that. You know, it's just like a casino. If you think about it that way, a hardcore Call of Duty player, let's say they're playing on Xbox, okay? They move to Xbox and they're paying the $50, and they're not playing any other game except for that. In six months, Microsoft still made their 100 bucks off you. You know what I mean? So they're still making the money. You know, to quote De Niro in Casino himself, in the end, we get it all. So it doesn't really make a difference. They're still going to make it from you. It's just going to take six months to do so. So consider it like a video game version of Layaway. Okay, or a or a video game version of financing the game so that you're not paying a hundred dollars up front, but in the end, they're still gonna get that hundred dollars. Right? The only difference is you have access to like five hundred plus other games that you can that you could play as well. So it's not just that one game. But 
I'm just putting that into perspective. Now, the interesting thing is when it comes to uh, what you mentioned earlier, I just want to dip on this for a second here, uh, is that you were talking about how um, uh, keeping the game uh, multiplat and then bringing it to Nintendo. Why the hell not? First of all, I've been saying it from the beginning. To quote another one of my favorite movies, how could you be so obtuse to, to, to keep it like exclusive to Xbox? It's silly. Let PlayStation have it. Charge them full price. Just charge them the same price that they're making. They're, they're charging now. Nintendo, maybe like $10 less because obviously it's not going to be the same quality. However, if you think about this, the quality doesn't necessarily have to be there when it comes to Call of Duty. And I'll tell you why. Because right now, 88 million people are playing Call of Duty mobile. Can we please put that in perspective for a second? It's not a bad game. I played it on my phone. It's kind of fun. I just tried it out for a little bit, and I'm like, this is actually pretty damn good. And it's actually, uh, you can actually use a controller now, like an actual Xbox. Uh, I don't know if you could use PlayStation, but um, you could use an Xbox uh, controller to play the game. It's supported. And the game is really buttery smooth. It's not the greatest graphics on earth, but uh, you know what I mean? It's like, it's like, it's slightly better than like uh, MetaQuest. Okay. By the way, I still say, I still uh, hate saying MetaQuest. It's still always going to be Oculus. But anyways, the point is 88 million people are playing Call of Duty Mobile. Those are numbers that they're not going to ignore because those same people will play it on the Switch for slightly better experience, right? My kids will play it, or maybe my son, maybe not my daughter, but certainly my, my son will play it on his Switch. Why the hell not? It's right there. So the thing is, when Phil said five years ago that he wants to open up the market to 2 billion players and everybody laughed except for Phil, that's one of the reasons why. Right, because you're thinking about something like Call of Duty, and when when uh, when uh, uh, Activision came and approached them, they were like, "Hey guys, remember when we were talking about two billion? Here's two billion in one package. When you put in King Call of Duty on all consoles and all platforms and PC, you have the mobile market with the King and everything else. I don't want to get into all that, but just the point is, is that it's going to be there. And uh, and the last thing I was going to talk about is that you know when you're talking about Phil uh, going out there doing interviews, all this kind of thing. This is all part of the game, right? This is all part of the game because they have to. You have to put that PR face on. You got to be there. You got to be personable. You you can't just be a faceless corporation. Uh, you know, putting something forward to the CMA, for example, which obviously is the main focus right now. It's happening to me at work. Okay, I got caught up because I got a lot of people I've been hiring. Um, a lot of people I've been bringing to my team from all levels, from executive uh, all the way down to just uh, you know just people working uh, minimum wage jobs. I've been getting all these people in there and building a hell of a strong team for myself and for the and for the corporation at large. So therefore, I haven't been making my face very public because I've been really busy. And funny enough, tomorrow I got to do a town hall meeting with everybody because it's like you need to put your face out there more because people people want to see that you're there. It brings confidence. And that's something that I have to do tomorrow. You don't think Phil's doing the exact same thing? That's exactly yep. what's happening. All right. And so he's doing all these things. And the last thing before I pass off the mic and then I, I run I run to the hills eventually is that I was going to say the one thing about the price increase, because I'm trying to squeeze this all into the one sentence here. Sorry, guys. This price increase, okay, of the of uh, Game Pass, which was what Phil was talking about in the interview, although he didn't really come out and talk about it. He just said prices will raise on certain things. And I think there was a lot of speculation as to what it was specifically. Game Pass, sure, could be one of them. How is this a surprise to anybody? When you start putting in uh, quality titles, you start putting in massive, um, uh, uh, oh my goodness, I can't even think of the damn word, 
but anyways, the point is you're putting all these things um, in, in into the service. Obviously, it's going to cost more money to run. Obviously, they're going to have they're going to charge a little bit more because you're going to be getting more of a premium experience. Right. Investment. Sorry, my God, I couldn't think of the damn word for a second. When you're putting a seventy billion dollar investment in there, you're going to be getting quality on top of quality. Okay, yeah. so it's just you, you're obviously going to charge more. Maybe it's a dollar. Okay, but let's say. Call of Duty goes through or ABK goes through and you get Call of Duty in there. And all of a sudden, Game Pass over the course of the next two or three years goes up to 100 million subscribers. Remember we talked about that a long time ago, that they all have a magic number. When they hit a magic number, what ends up happening is that then they'll raise the price. But until then, they'll keep the price the way it is. Same with Disney. They did the same thing. Netflix does the same thing. They all have a magic number. When Disney Plus hits 100 million, they're going to raise it another dollar. When it hits 120, they're going to raise it another dollar. This is how they operate. This is how they move forward. Uh, Game Pass is not going to be any different. Now, the other thing is, and the last thing I'm going to say, is that God help anybody from one of those toxic communities who are going to complain about that. These are the same clowns who defended Sony saying, well, it's because of inflation. They need to make their money back. So God help them if they may. Oh, my God, the amount of videos I'll make over that. But I'll tell you something. If they complain about that, that's going to be hell of a, a hypocritical situation. But, yeah, it, I mean, everybody's raising the prices. Everybody's bringing it. The cost of productions are going up. Uh, and on top of it, you're getting more value out of it. So why the heck wouldn't you? You know what I mean? It's going to go up. That's just the way it's going to be. Eggs yeah. cost double what they cost last year for crying out loud. Okay, yeah, so a, like car, a carton of eggs here in, in New Rochelle, New York, is five dollars, which is freaking ridiculous. Yeah. Okay, so that's just putting it in perspective. But anyways, there you go. I just gave you five topics in like one long run on. No, no, good, good stuff is all we not, there, uh, but absolutely not. <laughs> good stuff. Listen, let, 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 let's bring in Kaysante into the conversation. Kaysante, I don't know which which part of Phil's comments do you want to cover. Uh, but I think the one that a lot of people are talking about in the chat, and we still have over fi- 500 people here, is the potential price increase for Game Pass. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, okay. <clears throat> now, it's, it's good that you bring that up because I will have an unpopular opinion, and I'm sure my, my opinion is unpopular, but I, I have to say this. So just like back when Sony was coming out and, and, and you, you know we heard rumors of price prices being raised and they gave us economic factors and they gave us all these reasons and everybody was like come on now you guys can definitely do better than that i have to as the kids say keep the same energy can microsoft afford it yes they can so how do i feel about this whole this whole uh price increase stuff i kind of feel like it's it, it we we as a as a gaming community have been talking about it a little too much <laughs> i feel, I kind of feel like we we have been too much uh, on that train of oh well you know it, it it makes sense you know when you you have so much value for your dollar it can only rise because we have been trained right by by various institutions and and places that hey when you have something that's valuable the prices do increase we've seen that happen in multiple instances right so when we see it here, we are not surprised. So it's no one's, no one is at fault or faulty for saying so. It's just I kind of feel like I'm in this place where I kind of feel like we've said it one too many times, and they kind of went, yeah, we kind of agree with them. So it's almost a self fulfilling prophecy at this point. Where if it wasn't planning, if they weren't planning on prices increasing, they're definitely planning on prices increasing now because it's been said one too many times to say that hey it should increase and it'll be valuable because it's 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 a it's a value for dollar proposition uh, again you know with that said i do think that it's to a certain extent raising its value uh, raising its 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 uh its uh, uh price 
isn't necessarily the worst thing in the world. I mean, at the end of the day, we've already we've already seen rumors of that family plan coming out, and they wouldn't then increase that price and change that presumed price uh, before it actually releases. So ultimately, it should still work out in that $5 deal thing that's still kind of in the middle. Then again, they haven't officially announced it yet, so it could also be raised. Who knows? But, you know, is it a value for dollar? I, I do think it's still valuable, but at the end of the day, if we're going to give these companies smoke for increasing prices and saying, come on, guys, you can afford to, 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 to uh, give a little bit for your consumer base. I think if we can give that, if we can give that criticism to Sony, we can definitely leverage that against Microsoft because they have higher overhead than Sony does. And they can take a far more, more, more pain from the market than any other company can. So yeah, see that, that's where talking, that's that's mm-hmm. that's where I would disagree with you though. Only because okay. Sony is charging eighteen dollars and they don't offer day and day. Oh no, yeah, yeah, no, no. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. I I completely agree with you that that Sony's method is so Sony's method. They're basically using their political capital. They're using their ability. They they've they have given so much to the to the to the their consumers that now they can quote unquote do no wrong in their eyes and as such they're just raising prices and they're not afraid of it. I hear you on that, right? And they're not offering you value for your dollar as the 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 competitor is. All I'm saying is and I completely agree with you that absolutely Sony is not offering you as much dollar um, value for your dollar and you should be upset about that. I I agree with you on that. All I'm saying though is if we are going to give them smoke for raising prices and this and that, because they 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 uh, named a number of economic factors, and we said, "Oh, come on, guys, you are still the market leader. You still make a lot of profit off of this." Sure, there are economic factors that could lead to raising of prices, but we, the consumer, should not be okay with any of those excuses. If that is a righteous criticism to be levied at Sony, it is even more righteous to be levied at Microsoft, because no yeah, matter I, how hard I, the economic factors are in the world. Yeah. So Microsoft can handle it more than most. So yeah, I, I don't mean, disagree, yeah. and I don't say it's a bad thing. But, but I'm but just everybody's saying, raising the their prices. Be kept. I, I, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'll get like it. I but said, look at Apple and yeah. Google and all these. Oh, they're please, raising please, prices like like, now, like Mag, Christmas. Don't day. say Apple to me. Don't say Apple to me because on on a Tuesday when it's when it's a bright sunny day and the world is happy and everybody's giving free ice cream, Sony mm. will, uh, um. um Apple will charge you a dollar for that ice cream. That's I know it, they it, will. Yeah, they absolutely would, for sure. I mean, look, yes. again, it, it, it really is an opinion base. For me, when you look at uh, what Sony does, mm-hmm. they, they, the way that they, uh, they they nickel and dime their 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 gamer is egregious. Let's be clear here. This is not if, this is not if if and or this and that, right? Just like back in the day when 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 Cyberpunk came out and it was horrible and it was removed from the Sony store. I didn't say if or that, this and that. In that same instance where I said both the game sucks and we need to talk about their return policy. In this instance, I say both. It makes sense that it, it can increase in value because there's value for dollar there. But we as consumers should not care what they say about it because these companies can make a lot of money. I see you shaking your head there, Luke. You know what I'm talking about. doesn't matter how much yeah. these people make. <laughs> they can afford it. We yeah. should not be no, okay I, going, okay, we should not afford, we shouldn't be okay with that. Yeah. Oh, I I'm think, not, for I, the record, I, I'm not okay with it either. Sorry. I'm just saying yeah. it's a, it's an inevitability, but it's sorry, an inevitability. Sorry, Luke, of ahead. course, of course, please go ahead. Luke. Yeah. No, no. I was going to say, I think there's a, like, I think, look, if you compare game pass to, um, uh, 
premium, right? I mean, there's there's no in terms of as everybody said in terms of value, there's no competition whatsoever. But I think your point, here, Sansa, is that you're not you're not trying to compare the two. You're trying to say, well, if one's justifying, you know, raising its prices because of X economic factors and everybody's mad about that, that's fair. And everybody should be mad about that because as consumers, you shouldn't want to pay more. But you, as you say, you have to keep the same energy for, you know, if Microsoft were to come out tomorrow and say, well, look, you know, we're having to put up our console price and our game price and game oh, pass economic price factors, because, this and that. because like economic factors. Because $70 billion dollar like, purchase well, player. Come on now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know and it's definitely more justifiable if Microsoft do it in the sense of the deal they're giving you in game pass is already really good value, but you still have to be like, well, come on, like I'm a consumer. I don't care what, like, as you say, you're a 70 a massive company right trillion dollar company you can bear the brunt of um not increasing your prices and to be fair to phil it was something that he said in the interview in reference to that he said we we didn't want to raise them now because we don't think it's the right time to do that so we're willing to kind of bear the cost so maybe you know they're looking at doing it when you know the world comes out of a global economic recession and then go you know what now's the time like people can accept it now they've got more disposable income obviously when sony did it it was bad timing because everybody's already strapped for cash right so yeah i completely agree not only was it bad timing they also had a bad product that didn't give you enough that made you feel like you it was worth the dollar you were spending absolutely 100 percent right on that yeah absolutely right on that so i, I that's 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 me boob i feel like although i can justify it half of my brain can go i, I can see why it costs as much as it costs but the other side of me goes i don't care i'm a consumer it should be cheap you or Microsoft, you can afford more money than anyone else. You should keep the prices as low as, as we want you to because that's what you've built for us. That's what we've learned about you. You are there for the consumer. So continue doing the consumer's work. Keep prices low. Listen, again, it, it's opinion. So let, let, let's get Wandering Dutch in on the conversation. Dutch, I mean, what, what of the many things that uh, Phil Spencer had to say today jumped off the page for you? <laughs> Yeah, of course. We we mentioned we've we've spoke about this many times actually with regards the Minecraft kind of comparisons and how they're going to approach Call of Duty. Um, but obviously, it makes from both financial sense and uh, as as Luke kind of alluded to earlier, for just from a kind of a, a basic sensibility, it makes sense across the market. They want to get as in the hands of as many people as physically possible because ultimately, financially, that is going to benefit them. Um, but it's also going to get more users on on their eyes. It's going to get more users onto their service. Um, of course, there is there is other concessions they can make. Of course, one of the things that was mentioned earlier as well was was with regard to Sony's issue with Call of Duty and Game Pass ultimately and and the marketing rights, which is ultimately what this is the issue with not having that marketing right, not having that association with Call of Duty is PlayStation, PlayStation is Call of Duty, which ultimately is the problem. Um, and will remain the problem. Um, the issue being, of course, and, and this is, I think, um, Luke alluded to this earlier as well, is, of course, Sony essentially saying, well, yeah, with the more PlayStation users, well, sorry, the more Call of Duty players we get on here, the more likelihood that they're going to spend money on our products. Now, of course, on in terms of actually proving that would be nigh on impossible to source, they would have to go through every Call of Duty purchases document, essentially purchases on PlayStation to prove that they are buying PlayStation, pro like specific PlayStation first party 
uh, content if they're on PlayStation. The vast majority of PlayStation users are, are casual. The vast majority um, are, are casual players that literally just buy Call of Duty, will buy Call of Duty every year, will buy FIFA every year. They're your casual players, essentially. Um, you've, of course, you get your hardcore minority, um, but the vast majority of that market um, is just on there and plays the Call of Duty. And when the next Call of Duty comes out, they'll play that. They might play the occasional racing game or your FIFAs or your sports games. But the likelihood that they'll actually be there specifically to buy first-party content on the back of Call of Duty is slim. Um, so being able to prove that in, in a regulatory situation would be nigh on impossible for them to do so. So it wouldn't really, it would never get to that point. Um, on, a, on another section for what Microsoft could do to approach that situation, if they're just feeling like, listen, we, we're going to put it on, on our, our aim entirely is to get Call of Duty to as many people as physically possible, give people different ways of accessing Call of Duty. Um, whether it be mobile, whether it be Switch, whether it be Xbox, PC, PlayStation, wherever it is, um, we're going to give people the ability to play Call of Duty. Um, Game Pass being one of those routes. What they essentially could do, and again, this is it's a slim possibility, but it's always a possibility because you never know with with Microsoft, you never know with the the deals that they could make. But they could essentially always the possibility always remains that they could go to PlayStation and say, listen, if you've got such an issue with it going on Game Pass, we could make a deal where this also hits PlayStation Plus day one. Now, that is always a possibility. They could make that deal, whether or not PlayStation want to make that deal. Well, they have to pay through the nose to get that done, which, you know, that's, that's, that's business. But if they offered them the opportunity to do so, they're still offering that opportunity for their user base to access that content on a, on a subscription service as well as Game Pass. But the issue still remains, as Luke pointed out, is it's never been about really about Game Pass. It's never been about Call of Duty not being there. It's the association of Call of Duty with PlayStation. Um, now, of course, on the flip side, the Minecraft thing we've we've mentioned numerous times now, of course, both in the green room and I think on historic episodes as well, um, but it makes absolute sense to, to talk about it when we're talking about um, the the Minecraft situation. Of course, Minecraft, when it first released, was was PC only. It was on really poor Java implementation. Um, they moved that over to, um, of course, then the the Xbox edition, the PlayStation edition, the Nintendo edition, and then they implemented all of them into the Java edition. So they're all kind of simultaneous and all work together. And then you had this just one app as opposed to many versions of it. Um, so now you can essentially play Minecraft anywhere and everywhere. But that isn't where Microsoft stopped with that. Of course, with Minecraft Dungeons, we saw another version of the same franchise, but in a different section altogether, um, come to every platform. So it's on Nintendo, it's on PlayStation, it's on PC, it's on Xbox. Uh, we see the same with Minecraft Legends coming up next year. That is on every platform again. Um, and the user base continues to grow. Um, of course, Minecraft's now on, on everything, including VR. Um, that's exactly the and people say, oh yeah, but it doesn't make fa- it doesn't make sense for, for Microsoft to do this because it doesn't for them, it doesn't provide them benefit. It absolutely does. Like uh, you don't have to have every specific game as an exclusive if that particular game already has a market everywhere. 
it makes absolute sense if the, the market for that exclusivity is minimal. So, for instance, if you're looking at the likes of, and, and again, people might take this as, a, as a, the complete opposite end of the scale, but if you have a look at the likes of Elder Scrolls or the likes of Starf Starfield, for instance, is an even easier one because that doesn't have a basis. Yes, the studio, historically, has provided ex um, multi-plat multi games, but Starfield being a new IP does not have an, 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 a dedicated fan base on every platform just for that IP. So that one you can discount essentially. Yes, people love the work from that studio and that's understandable, but that specific IP has no dedicated fan base that is right. based on the actual game that's released. Um, with the likes of um, Elder Scrolls and Fallout, etc., you could look at the wider market and say, listen, yes, Elder Scrolls has sold X million across the board um, by not having it on another platform we would lose maybe five, six million to us. Is that a negligible effect? Yeah, it's a negligible effect. We, in in retrospect, putting that as an exclusive and putting it on Game Pass, that would actually provide more benefits than losing maybe four or five million and potentially saving a couple more that might already be multi-plat gamers. Um, so they would already have multiple consoles, etc. Whereas with Call of Duty, you're talking about a franchise that has upwards of sort of 20 30 40 million 50 million players worldwide even more if you include the mobile which is what mag was alluding to before um the mobile version of, of call of duty runs brilliantly to be honest i used to play it on touch controls and it was it was buttery smooth um and that's the kind of version i'm expecting to see on switch to be in all honesty um and, and to be fair it, that's fine that version, if they can make that type of version for the Switch, I think it'd be fantastic. Um, and when you're talking about the actual market as a whole for a Call of Duty, it makes absolute sense to keep it multi-plat from both a financial and logistical point of view. Um, not only that, but then broadening the market to Switch, um, bringing it to, to cloud on both mobile and PC and on your fridge freezer, wherever you want to play it. <laughs> you're going to be able to play Call of Duty everywhere and expanding that market, not only just for the regular franchise. I think if we have a look at what they mean by Minecraft-esque, any new titles, any new deviations in the franchise for Call of Duty, that means everyone gets it. That's not to mean only mainline franchise stays on multiplat. If they're going to treat it like Minecraft, what that essentially means is that even if we create... Any version of it game, would be on every console. Yeah. Yeah. Even if we create like Minecraft Legends or like Minecraft Dungeons, who are wholly different to the regular Minecraft, if they create a brand new Call of Duty, that's also going to be everywhere, which means essentially no one is losing out. And then it boils down to the fact that essentially the only thing that PlayStation have an issue with at the end of the day, which the CMA and FTC and everybody else will not care about one iota, is the marketing rights. because trying to preserve your own image to pre essentially present yourself as the only place to play isn't something you're doing to benefit the consumers. That is correct. <laughs> the whole wider market, that's not something any of these regulatory bodies are bothered about. They can understand things like Game Pass because, of course, that provides a huge advantageous benefit to one platform over the other because, of course, that user base can access that at a much lower buying cost. Um, versus the other however 
of course, what Microsoft have argued, of course, in, in, in these cases is PlayStation have that service available to them. They're not using it, but they do have that service. They have PlayStation Plus Premium. Um, so essentially, it's, yeah, it's treating it like Minecraft is is exactly the way we've been saying they're going to do things going forward for Call of Duty. And for literally specifically that franchise, out of every one of the IPs on there, that is the only one that would make sense to do that with. The rest of them, it wouldn't matter one iota if that was exclusive or not. Literally Call of Duty being multi-plat everywhere forever makes absolute sense because it is that much of a name. It is like we we even when we talk about the likes of Diablo, yeah, Diablo's big, but Diablo's the biggest. It's not Call of Duty, PC. Big. right? Yeah, but it's it's the biggest when it comes to PC specifically. Yes, there is a lot of console players for Diablo, but nowhere near the size of Diablo players on PC. Um, likes Crash Bandicoot, etc. It's a of course it's a it's a, an iconic name, but if you have a look at the sales for Crash Bandicoot in recent years. Are they anywhere near what it was when they originally launched on PlayStation? No, not no. even close. So is it going not to is it going to damage? No, of course it's not going to damage PlayStation. So that wouldn't be taken into account. And likewise, so again, to restore any of these things going forward, that would be up to Microsoft if they want to restore the image of these franchises that have kind of been left in the lurch. Um, and we've seen those franchises anyway go multi-plat recent years, but um, they're nowhere near the same size as what they used to be. So, but Call of Duty specifically this year shows why it should remain multi-plat um they knocked it out of the park with this particular call of duty if they continue in the same vein and put in the same work as they have done on this call of duty for the next one um and we know microsoft's aims for this franchise are to to not have it as an annual release to give it a bit of breathing space to let them essentially evolve that franchise fully and make it better um, by giving it a little bit of breathing space and have a two-year gap or a three-year gap between releases um, essentially will allow that franchise to evolve and to get better, which for the market as a whole, even if it is multi-plat, is a better thing in my opinion. We've seen the same and the same complaints with sports fans when you're talking about FIFAs and Maddens, etc. The same thing every year is the fact that they'll pick the game up, but is the game fundamentally different to what the previous one was the year before uh, no it's not you've just got the, the newest kits and the transfers have changed and you've got the new players on your team but ultimately is the game any different not really so microsoft's intentions for the franchise are wholly going to benefit the market which is to give it that breathing space and not have it as a, an annual release um so yeah i think the treatment is, is minecraft um, is the the best method for this going forward? It's it's ultimately going to be the best thing I think for the entirety of the market for Call of Duty as well. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. Great stuff, Crispy Bomb. Let's get your opinion on this, brother. What of Phil Spencer had to say really rang a bell with you? I mean, listen, no one wants prices to increase, specifically on Xbox Game Pass, and I don't think they're going to raise it anytime soon. I think maybe even after this deal, they don't raise it initially. He did say specifically that some things could raise. He didn't say what. I wouldn't be consoles, in my opinion. I don't think that they would raise the console prices. They would take the loss on that. They could potentially raise uh, Game Pass a couple of bucks to coincide with all of the value that uh, that they're offering. And even though I initially don't really have a problem with price increases, if I like something, 
This is a service I, I'm not going to say, yeah, charge me more. I'm not a, a you know, I'm not going to pull an Everborn Saga, charge them more. I'd rather keep paying the $15. But if they did raise it two or three bucks, I wouldn't be like, well, I'm canceling my service. Because, I, I you know, every time Netflix raises it, I'm like, damn, they raise it again. But I watch so much Netflix that for me, the value proposition it's you know I, nobody wants to pay more. What what of what Phil Spencer had to say, uh, you know, jumped off the page for you? Well, I mean, first of all, he's obviously doing he's doing what most of these tech giants haven't really done when they're trying to have these mergers, um, being very public. And I think I think if you really look at it, even when like you know like Disney and Fox and and all these things like there was things said, but it, it wasn't quite to this extent. Um, yeah, the transparency of Microsoft is unmatched. There's no doubt about it. And I think that's going to bode well for at least uh, the, the public aspect. I think, you know, let's take the extremist out of it and really look at it and say, you know, Phil can't just say, hey, we're never going to raise prices. That would that would be asinine. Right. Okay. It would it would be it would be against his shareholders and everything else, because if if that's needed at a point in time, they're going to do it. Um, I think right now, because if you look at the the trading and everything else, that you know Microsoft is down technically. Okay, yeah. they, well, they are still down. a they are still the, this ginormous company, and and that's where my consumer hat goes on. And says don't raise nothing ever. You know what I mean, but. I'm also a Netflix subscriber and I've also been like, man, I should just cancel this. And then, Ooh, piece of candy, man, I should just cancel. This. Ooh, piece of candy. And, and, you know, you know, we we're in this drought right now and everybody feels the inevitable. I mean, you know, everybody's talking about Activision and everything else. You got, you got Starfield coming out, bro. I'm going to tell you right now, but that's the, is no joke. Okay. When it comes to public, you know, eyes on them. They got that. And people are preparing themselves and they're buying consoles. Now, are they going to win every MPD? Are they gonna, but when they're competing much better, you can see people are like, well, I should just grab a Series S because I can. And it's, you know, it's $300. I mean, everything else is more expensive, you know, electronic. Like, it's almost like three pairs of headphones or a couple headphones and controller. Like, they, that's the way you look at it. You know what I mean? So, it's one of those things where, you know, raising a price with their value and, and all these other entities that, you know, like, especially Sony, like, you know, they would justify their $18 if they had their first party in there. I would have no argument against it. I said, I if they did that, yep. you know, you know, if, if they went to another tier and said tier $20 tier, but added their exclusives in there or, or charge even 25 for some people. You know, it might sound absurd, but what they're they're charging the consumer now and the way they're treating them, I mean, it seems more consumer friendly if you just say, okay, I'll pay the 20 or $25 a month. You know what I mean? And that's where, like, that's where we, like, some of us are just baffled of, of you know, some of the wording from the CMA and stuff like that. And it's like, you know, Microsoft, for them to stay pat, regardless of the fact that, you know, Anybody could see that, you know, these goods and everything else, like when, when car manufacturers can't get chips, there's a problem. And, and, you know, Microsoft spent a ton of money 
to get you know precedent on on a lot of chips. You know what I mean? And they, they were taking a loss on these consoles. They're not going to raise the price of the console. They want they want to get as many consoles as possible. But I, I do think that Project Keystone will be something down the road. You know what I mean? And I yeah, think no that's what that. Phil. Yeah. I think that's what Phil is hinting at in a way. Because also that thing's not going to be able to be capable of doing certain things. And they've already branched off, you know, prices and everything else into the PC, making a PC game pass instead of just game pass. You know, I mean, they're going to separate things and they're going to charge what they feel is correct. So they could like release a keystone and you might get just a flat $10 tier. You know, I mean, and that's game pass. And no matter what you do with it, that's what you pay for it. Yeah, I mean, or they could, you know, eventually with all of these service games at a tier where you get perks on certain games or free to plays or something like that. I mean, they got to do it right. If anything, if you're going to add, if you're going to take your tier, make it more in price, add something else like a family plan to go and say, okay, well, you still have this option because that's how you kind of branch it out. And that's how Sony tried to do it. The biggest difference is, is you look at day and day and not day and day. And as these yep. games come out for Xbox, I could definitely see them raising the price. And I don't think it's going to be something crazy. They're not going to come out with some, you know, ridiculous $30 a month from, from 15, you know, unless they're going to add, unless they're going to add some cosmetics or something like that, you know, maybe, you know what I mean? But other than that, I mean, I feel that they would be like, okay, a dollar or two, or match what Sony's tier is. But hey, we got day and day exclusives. You know what I mean? And, and that's it. And that's all you have to say. And until Sony does something about that, that's where I say, make them compete. Make them do something good for the consumer because they're kind of price gouge- gouging you right now. I'm they, just they, saying. They, they, no, they absolutely are. And uh, listen, let's get three bits last opinion and then we'll get everyone the heck out of here. This has been one hell of a primetime gaming. Three bit, what, what, what of what Phil Spencer had to say? jumps off the page for you it what was it the potential raising of game pass because again he didn't say specifically what they would raise but he said that they could see some things raised for xbox based on the market i think i'm i'm half with kaysante's view and and others i i'm always on the consumer side of things right like having the best deal for me uh essentially getting the best bang for my buck which is why i never understood a lot of sony fan main points of argument which is like is game pass profitable it's profitable for me you know there are games that came out at like 60 70 dollars that i got for a subscription price of just 15 dollars a month right um so it's actually cheaper because i stacked it so i have game pass for a couple years um so i'm i'm set no no matter what happens i'm I'm set for at least two something years um and not only that the cost of games are increasing to like 70 dollars in some cases um making game pass even more valuable to me and and uh, while i am for that consumer side of things uh trying to get the best value i can I'm, i'm i'm also pretty realistic like i feel like people have um, pretty high expectations, usually from from Microsoft com- compared to PlayStation, to keep pumping in value without ever raising the cost. Um, and I, I just think it, it's just going to happen. Like, it, can can they keep it the same price? Yeah, but I, I always see seen it as when it's going to happen, not really if. 
uh, especially when Game Pass is, is offering better and and in even better value than PlayStation in a lot of cases when PlayStation is charging more. Uh, and if, if I'm looking at my competitor who's charging an arm and a leg, um, just because their brand name is so strong, it kind of makes you wonder. <laughs> and um, yeah, I, I think if they did want to increase, they can look at different, like a tier system, kind of what Crispy was saying, like maybe you have that $15 a month for Ultimate and maybe an extra $5 to access Activision library or, or something like that. Uh, that. That's a way to sort of get around it. I think if they still wanted to have that pro consumer <laughs> uh, messaging uh, going forward, but uh, we'll, we'll see what, what they end up doing. I think it's still very early uh, to even kind of talk about it, but I, I don't, I don't think they're going to increase the price anytime soon. I think Microsoft's goal right now is to continuously, gain subscribers on on different devices yep. outside of the the console space right something that what wandering was was kind of talking about uh, i think the mobile space is the biggest market it's bigger than consoles and pc right we talked about this and and microsoft is just seeing ways to introduce people into their ecosystem best way to do that is just making just making sure everyone gets in there <laughs> making sure e xbox is easily available everywhere without even being restricted by a console you could play it on your phone you could play it on your fridge you want to play uh game pass on your nokia <laughs> you know just just different ways that um you can get into the ecosystem and I, I think microsoft is very smart by letting sony just focus on call of duty i know call of duty is a huge franchise um but it almost feels like they're holding up a carrot in a lot of ways uh because like you you have uh, a whole bunch of IP and franchises that are also within that deal. Um, like Candy Crush makes $4.2 million every single day. That's a, yeah, that's, a, that's every day, <laughs> you know, yeah, like $4.2 million. So, yeah, last quarter, uh, they made $643 million. Crazy, yep, In 90 Jeez. days, 90 days. So, that's just, uh, like. It's it's kind of it's pretty smart that like Microsoft's like yeah worry about Call of Duty we're gonna put that everywhere. <laughs> um, meanwhile, they have like these other things within the Activision deal uh, that is going to be very profitable for them, especially if they handle those franchises the right way. Um, you have Blizzard, you know, making that new survival game. You have, uh, I mean, Overwatch, Diablo, World of Warcraft. All of those uh, are amazing IP. Now, Call of Duty is, is still a massive game, and I understand why Sony um, is 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 really worried about that because they are they always market Call of Duty as as like this is their baby. Like, yeah, yes, yeah, it, they market it as if it's first party. Yes, yeah, as if it's first party, which it, it works for them um, because uh, if you if you really think about it, uh, a lot of casual gamers they go towards certain franchises like Call of Duty, like FIFA like nba 2k right those are yeah. like major games that people come to uh like every year every two years uh so, something like that and um sony does have a, a first party um thing going on where where they they're making super amazing experiences but there aren't service games they're working on that um but th that is uh they they uh, very much rely on third party ex like uh, deals for that. So to sort of fill that void until they get 
those studios rolling um making that content yep um so yeah i, I mean that's that's pretty much my my views on it i i, I do think um mag he he was he was pretty right on point with like saying like um where sony is is probably the most worried about engagement out of anything um uh engagement is very important to, to sony uh making sure people stay within their ecosystem because that's where they're making the most money they're not making a bunch of money just from a god of war game coming out um they're making money from people like subscribing to ps plus and continuously just being in their service overall so um I think Sony is seeing that, and uh, that's why they're worried about this deal. But in terms of Game Pass, I, I think the value is there. Um, I'm I, I'm like half and half. I don't want it to increase. I never want any subscription <laughs> thing to increase. Um, right. Like I've considered canceling Netflix so many times, um, and then they come out with some some candy or something. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Um, yeah, it, it does make it hard, but I also, I get it. Like, I don't want to pay 60, $70 for every single game. I think it's, it's a good value, um, as it is right now that I can play a brand new game, uh, for like nothing. So, um, yeah, I mean, those are my views. Now, good stuff. Listen, I got to catch up on two of the super chats that came in tonight. Drawn TJ dropped the first one of the night. Generous friend of the program. He says this after dropping a $5 super chat. I'm excited for what Phil Spencer is doing, as am I. And we also have Lucky Mo drops a $5 super chat and says, Microsoft is five years ahead of planning over Sony. They delayed Starfield, Redfall, and they're holding back games until the ABK deal is done. And obviously, you're drinking from the same fountain that Everborn Saga is. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, that is going to be your primetime gaming for this Wednesday evening. Thank you so much we had 520 plus people tune in to this uh, i gotta say a big thank you to luke uh for joining us uh, luke Steele. you really really dropped some amazing knowledge bombs sell your brand brother tell everyone what podcast that you're on where they could subscribe to that listen to it on a weekly basis and where can people reach out to you on social media yeah exactly yeah uh great being here as usual really enjoyed that and, and happy to uh have contributed so yeah you can find me on twitter at luke steel 90 and then in terms of podcasts i'm on uh green pass gaming which is green pass gaming on youtube uh that's every sunday 7 30 p.m uk time so about 2 30 p.m eastern and I'm also on the Indie Game podcast with the Indie Gamer. Uh, that's once a month, and we kind of announce those sporadically. So f follow me on Twitter, and uh, and you'll you'll see uh, all of those when they come up. Nice, thanks. Well, thanks. So, thank you so much again for being here, Wandering Dutch. Sell your brand, brother. Talk about your podcast today, where they could subscribe to it to help you get more subscribers and get you back into the correct algorithm of YouTube. And also, you said you had something you wanted to mention on Call of Duty. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's re literally, um, I don't know whether or not a lot of people have seen this as yet, but they've announced that they are bringing raids to Call of Duty that following from the tail end of the campaign. Um, so we're talking Destiny-style raids coming to Call of Duty. Wow, that sounds so, awesome. Yeah, that follows directly on from the actual main campaign, so it'll bring in some previous villains and enemies from from uh, the Call of Duty franchises that we've we've seen before. And uh, yeah, it, it sounds like it's going to be absolutely awesome. And there's a lot of kind of in-depth stuff that they're going into this year. So 
Yeah, Call of Duty is definitely uh, it's getting definitely coming back with a bang. That's for sure. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, it's been an absolute blast. Of course, great to have Luke on the show. Uh, well, I don't think I've been on primetime with Luke before, so it's awesome to have him here. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, brilliant, brilliant show as always. Like you say, a lot of lot of knowledge dropped, uh, which is great to see, and uh, a lot of an- questions answered um, to the best of our ability. Um, but uh, yes, you can find me everywhere at Wondering Dutch, of course, uh, on YouTube as well, the home of the Midweek Mix-Up podcast, which is every Wednesday um, and every Sunday for the weekend edition. Uh, and of course, every Tuesday for the Save Thieves Playcast, which is a new Save Thieves podcast that incorporates playing with whoever our guest is as well. So uh, it's a new one, but it's going well and uh, we're having fun doing it. But uh, yeah, awesome night. Nice, brother. Thank you. Crispy Bomb, sell your brand, brother. Talk about where can people reach out to you on social media, but what other podcasts are you a part of? Shout out to the chat, gentlemen. Uh, very enlightening, Luke. Glad to have you on. Uh, at Chris Bomb on Twitter, Chris Bomb 28 Xbox Live. You can find me tomorrow night, 8 p.m., the next podcast. I do believe I could show up for Breakfast of Boom, 10 a.m., Friday, and uh, we got Retro Renegades Tuesday night, 7 p.m., and, of course, back on here on the Primetime Gaming. See you there. Uh, thank you so much, brother. And uh, Kaysante, you got a big show coming up this Saturday morning. Talk about that. Where can people subscribe to get you past 1K over on the Gaming Circle podcast? And where can people reach out to you on social media? Yeah, boom. Thank you so much. Uh, as usual, always great being a part of, of your panel. And of course, Luke, as as everyone has, has already uh, said, great appearance, lots of great questions answered and stuff. We, we really appreciate you you spending some time with us and, and setting some of the records straight. And of course, 3-Bit, you as well. Always great hearing your takes on on the industry and, and, and the things that you're a part of as well. Uh, yeah, you can you can find me TKO Asante Xbox PlayStation all those places. Uh, we had some some interesting guests over the last week on the Gaming Circle podcast. We had the one and only Jez Corden on, being a little uh, little fun and slanderous on our Saturday morning show. He's uh, he, he was he was he was nursing a, a hangover, but he still had some fun with us, which was which was really good. So go check that out if you haven't. And yeah, as the weeks come on, there'll be some vacations here and there that that are coming up. So. The show will still have some content for you. You stay tuned for more, but we'll be putting some some interesting things in the feed. So we appreciate all the people who are who are checking us out. We're slowly but surely heading towards that thousand subscribers. So thank you guys again, and appreciate all the support. Thank you very much. And no, and last no way least, uh, three bit. What's going on, brother? What do you personally have going on? And where can people find you in other shows as well as reach out to you on social media? Yeah, it's it's been a, a pleasure. It's been a while. Uh, yeah, I've been on here, and, and I I've always said that Boom is the person where I even first started <laughs> podcasting. He was the, pretty much the first show I've been on, so I've always appreciated Boom, and, and his community is, is amazing. So, thanks for having me on, Boom. Um, everybody here has been um, awesome, Luke. It was really cool hearing your points of view and everything. Um, Everyone can find me on Twitter at i3bits. I am currently I'm finishing up my work on Fable. Great stuff. And awesome. um, doing commercials. That's, that's pretty much what I do now. It fills up my podcasting time. So I can't podcast as much as I used to, but I definitely try to jump in when I can. So thanks for having me, everybody. And I'll see you guys on the next one.
Uh, well, thank you so much. I, I love how he says it so subtly. I'm working on, I'm finishing up my work on Fable. Oh, that's all. <laughs> I, feel, I love it. Listen, it's great yeah. to have you back. And we definitely got to get you back here when you have some free time. So thanks for joining us. Ladies and gentlemen, a big shout out to the uh, Super Chats that came in. Obviously, those allow for us to continue to do the big giveaways. The next two are coming next week. Halloween, we're giving $200 away. And then on that on, on that Breakfast of Boom, that Friday, we're giving $300 away for Mrs. Boom's uh, birthday bash. Uh, so $500 worth of giveaways in uh, next week, one on Monday, for $200, one on Friday for $300. Uh, of course, the first uh, half of those go to channel members. If you were a channel member, you will get first crack at those. And then obviously the second half that is left over will be anyone that is live in the chat. If you're live in the chat, we will, of course, we will put your name into a picker and the picker picks a winner and then you pick where you want your gift card to go. And that obviously is going to be either a Nintendo uh, PlayStation or of course, Xbox. And if you are outside of the United States, we do still, uh, you know, give those winnings to you uh, through PayPal. We will then send that money's uh, worth of gift card to you through PayPal because it's, it's the safest way for me and Mrs. Boom not to get, you know, robbed or I've cheated out of the money and we trust PayPal, so uh, it's very easy to make an account, and they do do uh, cross lines internationally. We can send you your, uh, you know, denominational value uh, in your country, uh, whether it be the UK or anywhere in the world. We will send that money to you to make sure that everyone that supports the channel uh, does, in fact, to have a chance to win. Uh, and of course, I'm going to close out the show, folks, with something that's important to me. Hopefully, one day be important to you. And that's something that my dad taught us when we were kids. And he would say, Craig, treat others how you want to be treated. And also it doesn't cost anything to be nice. You live by those rules, son. I can guarantee you, you're going to have an awesome day. So take care of everyone. And we'll see you next week on the newest episode of primetime gaming with Mr. Boomstick and friends. <laughs>